This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading, except when it isn't. And today is one of those days. It's moms, dads, and grads, and others at all recommendation show. Our semi-annual recommendation format, we've had listeners email us, fill out a form, otherwise communicate to us their recommendation requests, and we shall answer them. Quick programming note, if you're interested in the Patreon, we did the summer draft last week. It's up and available now. Go to Book Riot Podcast. No, patreon.com slash bookriotpodcast. Billy link in the show notes for there as well. We are going to do a look back at our winter draft. Um, right after We're going to record that right after this, but it's going to go out next week. You can check that out there. Also, more book talk, but not the, not the clock app talking about books. <laughs> Rebecca and I were on first edition. The episode came out yesterday, and we returned to the same format. We did the May knockout round, trying to determine the it book of the month. I selected 10 finalists. Rebecca went into it blind. And we talked about each one, and it was a survivor round, so you had to you had to, you had to survive in advance one and one. And we came up with a there's a juggernaut for this game um, there for is May this time around. And <laughs> luckily, the random.org God smiled upon me, and it didn't appear until late enough in the show to make it interesting. But check that out there. Also, debuting a new segment on first edition called Reading Stories. Um, Erica Azafetti, who works with us at Book Right Here, was game enough to agree to be the first person into the water for that. And it was just, tell me a book-related or reading story from your life. And Erica is a wonderful storyteller. She is a cornucopia of <laughs> stories. I think if she was like, Scheherazade, it'd be like 3001 Arabian Nights would be renamed that it that way. She's right. got stories coming out everywhere. And she told me a banger. That ends in her trying to buy a new mommy for a dollar. So stick around. Go check that out. uh, First edition. Yeah, I got to preview that one. It's a great story. And Erica is just a hell of a storyteller. It's a it's a really good time. Yep. So um, that's our that's our first edition this week. And I got a special guest coming up for next um, uh, the next one coming up. Excited about that. I just nerded out with Rebecca about it for uh, for uh, for several minutes here ahead of the show. But we're going to get to Mom's Dad's and Grad's recommendations, and here we go after this sponsor. Okay, Rebecca, it's Mom's Dad's and Grad's recommendation show. Any um, any uh, meta commentary? Any uh, yeah, this any I, patterns or repetitions here? This is a more uh, varied list, I think, than we sometimes get. We didn't have a lot of common themes that came up between the questions, so mm-hmm. that was really fun. I like it when there are commonalities, and then we just kind of get to go like deeper and deeper into trying to solve the problem of finding new books to recommend for some of those. But this feels like a wide variety. I think we had a lot of folks recommending or requesting recommendations for themselves, which I always love to see. I felt like I was at not just ends, but sort of like all corners, all the multitudes of my reading life Mm -hmm. and my spreadsheet from the last couple of years, uh, finding books for these folks. Um, Anything you saw as you were going through? No, I mean, we now have some resources we can refer to the grads part, you know, adulting, graduating, growing up Um, a couple of times. I think we're not going to give specific recommendations, but point to a list. Uh, But Mm -hmm. that one always comes up. Um, yeah, it it feels, I felt like I I went into my bag a little bit too, and I don't know why. 
I'm not really sure why I feel like I'm, I'm digging deeper into the bag of holding to see what's in there. Today's episode is brought to you by Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye. Bone familiar Rosie spends most of her days in the Bone Forest, hiding her powers to avoid conscription by the Witch King's army. But when she saves the life of Princess Shaw, she's offered the chance to attend the prestigious school Witch Hall. And at Witch Hall, Rosie finds herself embroiled in political games she doesn't understand. Shaw wants Rosie as a partner to help lead the coming war. Meanwhile, all Rosie wants is to stay out of trouble, but she can't really deny her attraction to Shaw. So the question is, will Rosie give in to her destiny or will the Bone Forest call her home once and for all? Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye is for all the magic school lovers. This immersive magic school is full of witches and familiars. It's also a queer normative fantasy world with a sapphic slow burn romance like we love. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by National Geographic Books. The Cave is the incredible memoir of Imani Balur, a young doctor and activist who ran an underground hospital in Damascus, humanizing the enduring crisis in Syria. The only woman to have ever run a wartime hospital in Syria, she saved many from the atrocities of war while having to face the patriarchal conservatism around her. Amani Balur is a game changer. Listen, she will be remembered as one of history's greatest. She's a passionately committed humanitarian, and she is determined to help others escape the horrors that she survived. Make sure to pick up the memoir, The Cave by Amani Balur and Rania Abuzaid for a memoir that expands on the 2019 Oscar nominated film by the same name, which documents her experience running the hospital, shielding children from horrific sarin attack, losing colleagues, trying to employ more women in the hospital, and eventually leaving and becoming a refugee. So make sure to read about this amazing woman. And thanks again to National Geographic Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by William Morrow. I'll be dead in three months. Come tell my story. Imagine someone told you that. That's what Sebastian Trapp, a reclusive mystery novelist, told to his longtime correspondent Nikki Hunter, an expert in detective fiction. So with only a few months left to live, Trapp invites Nikki to his spectacular San Francisco mansion to help draft his life story, living alongside his beautiful second wife Diana, his wayward nephew Freddie, and his protective daughter Madeline. But soon, Nikki finds herself caught in an irresistible case of real-life detective fever. Make sure to pick up End of Story by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn for a book that gives Knives Out, that gives White Lotus. You'll like this if you like books by Lucy Foley, Nita Prose, and others. So make sure to pick it up, check it out, and thanks again to William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. All right, you want to read first, or you want me to read first? Yeah, I'll read. Uh, so members of the Patreon over at our wheelhouse get priority for our write-in shows, and so these like first several requests are from hmm. wheelhouse members, so we'll start with Vicky. She is looking for books for someone with the following wheelhouse. New England settings, haunted houses, introverted protagonists, found families, good banter, and the dog has to make it to the end. And I'm really glad in this particular case that Vicky included that because I had a book in mind where I was like, oh, wait, no, <laughs> the dog actually doesn't make it to the end of that one. So appreciated the specificity. What do you have here for Vicky? 
I can't check all of these boxes, and I don't read a no. lot of um, ghost stories, but I did read a book last year called Hidden Pictures by um, Jason Rekulak, which I really liked. I had read his earlier YA book called Hidden Fortress, and this one is um, it's by Quirk Books, and if you know anything about Quirk Works, it's a little bit different. It's not going to be straight up anything. It's going to have a little bit of a... It's going to have a little bit of a, of, of a spin to it. Um, I think this was... It's a ghost story. It's kind of a haunted house. There's something else going on there. But it has a good... There's like friendships that form. And so it's not really found... Well, it kind of it kind of is. It kind of isn't in the way that... I don't want to give... You can give stuff up about this, is what I'm saying. But okay. this the main character takes a job as a babysitter for a family. And she's just out of rehab. She's trying to get her life back together. And because of what I just said, it doesn't work out great for everyone involved. There's something else going on there. Um, she starts, the kid that she is tending starts to draw pictures. And it's not rainbows and unicorns. Something mm. else is happening. And she's just trying to figure it out. She strikes up a romance slash friendship with someone around there. People people die. I don't think there's a dog of any kind, um, so it doesn't die. But for what I have available, I liked it. But it doesn't tick all the boxes. But unless I was just going to go into the open internet and pick something here, this is one I can actually say um, I really liked. I don't. I, is she introverted? I'd say she is introverted, but maybe she's more withdrawn because she's been through a lot. Mm. I, the banter. The dialogue is rich, but I, I don't, it wouldn't have been in my top five things. So, Vicky, I'm not hitting all of them, but if it sounds interesting, you go check it out, maybe thumb through it or get it from Libby and see. Um, and it's, it's in New England, and it has a haunted house and everything else. I'm like, ugh, two out of five. In <laughs> yeah, I didn't find anything that rang all of these bells either, so I kind of picked and chose. The closest I came and the first thing that I thought of was The Secret History by Donna mm. Tartt. I was like, do I dare to recommend the secret history but it's introverted college student protagonist there's not a haunted house but it kind of has that vibe about it anyway mm. you're in new england they all have this strange very close relationship together i don't know that i would call it a found family but you could kind of get to that vibe at moments mm-hmm and the dialogue is great. It's snappy. It's not like, it's hard to know what people mean when they say good banter. Like, are we talking about like light, jaunty Gilmore Girls banter? Mm-hmm. Or do we just want like sharp barbs going back and forth between people or kind of all of the above? But The Secret History was the closest I got. Thinking about introverted protagonists and found family. It's not fiction, but Stay True by Wasu from last year. One of our collective shared memoirs, like shared favorites um, about his experience going to college, finding himself in a completely different kind of setting and a completely different kind of community, and then falling into this very surprising best friendship with the kind of guy that he thought he would never want to be friends with, that it just Mm -hmm. wouldn't make any kind of sense. And like the love story of that friendship, it's just really beautiful. Um, I think it might ring some of the same bells that somebody who likes to read about found families is looking to have rung. It's not necessarily like the happiest book. It's a little bit of a five alarm snot bomb, but it's very, very touching and wonderful. Um, Yeah. And I also kind of, I thought about Catherine house by uh, who's it by Elizabeth Thomas. That's more of a dark academia. There's a little like 
fantasy or supernatural kind of stuff happening there. But that might be one when you go to the bookstore and you're flipping through hidden pictures to see how well that fits what you're looking Mm -hmm. for. I think maybe also take a look at Catherine House. Cool. The next read is mine then. Yep. This is from Klitsta. My niece is moving out of the house for the first time. She is 25. She's very nervous about it. While she's had a full-time job for a couple of years, she's never had to pay for anything. Her parents have taken care of it all. I'm looking for a beginner book on adulting, finances, living on your own, and so forth. Maybe even how to meet new people and step away from video games. For your context, she lives in California and it's very expensive. And she is transitioning and is very introverted. Rebecca, do you want, you get to do the list? The list. Yeah. Uh, the list. This one. is a tough one. I think that the best way to talk about a request like this is that there's, to my knowledge, not one book that does all of no. these things. It would be amazing if there were. Like, Adulting 101 with a chapter about each of these things would be great. Um, but there is a list on a little website called Book Riot. Uh, from a couple of years ago, I checked all these titles I think are still very relevant. Uh, it's called Eight Books for When You're Learning How to Adult. We will put the link in the show notes. Uh, but there are titles there about sort of adjusting to the idea of yourself as an adult. There's stuff about money. One of our favorites, You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy, which is about communication, is on Mm -hmm. there. That might be an interesting way in for somebody uh, who's pretty shy and working on developing new relationships. And then there's a really practical end, like My Boyfriend Barfed in My Handbag, which is a book about like how to clean interesting messes. (laughs) Like It's basically, (laughs) you're not cleaning right, here's how to clean things right and it's not super complicated and it I mean you can tell from the title it's pretty funny so I would check out that list and maybe give this person a variety pack of books on that list or use these mm-hmm. as a jumping off point to see you know what else you can flesh out I like your right. suggestion for this though Jeff I, I see well I'm I'm trying to think you're right there's not one thing um that can do all of this it seems to me that the the request is coming from a place of Getting out into the world, and then what do you do? Like moving mm-hmm. from an introverted, sheltered kind of a way to a more open to the, the wider world experience. And the year of yes, it came out, gosh, six years ago, like 2015, it looks like. Chandra Rhymes is, I don't, it, it's, is it a memoir? I don't even, it's nonfiction, right? But she had this experience of. Yeah, it's basically of, a memoir. She was talking to someone in her life, and they were like, well, why don't I even ask? You're just going to say no anyway. Mm-hmm. And it kind of cut her to the quick, and it made her realize that she had been shutting down. She hadn't been outside of her comfort zone. She'd had a lot of success, and maybe even that was a problem in this regard, which was she was uncomfortable with being out there and taking risks, being vulnerable, um, and really going after what she wants versus what she was easy to understand or can control. So it's a story of her taking a year and trying to say yes to more things and what she learned from it. So. The subtitle, How to Dance It Out, Stand in the Sun, and Be Your Own Person. There's a very much a book club, end of the target packaging to this, which is okay. Just just know that. And I think a lot of people knew this, but I think at its core, there's something really interesting about mm-hmm. opening up and that you can get out there and be vulnerable. And things may not always go great, but you're not going to die. Um, the things you're scared of probably will not happen. And there's something else at the end of that journey that you might enjoy. Um, it's affirmative. I'm not so sure. 
it's never struck me about like coming from a super successful person. I guess maybe even that they still have problems of opening up and being open to the world and figuring out some of it is about saying, being okay with saying no, your body to, to communicating with people, saying what you want, being out there about relationships and romantic love and other kinds of real friendships. So I think for those of us who are introverted, and I'll throw myself in this, or are nervous in general about the wider world, seeing that other people are worried about it too, and not everyone is similarly worried, but just the changing your frame of mind to being afraid to being open can be very, very, very mm-hmm. powerful. So that's The Year of Yes yeah. by Shonda Rhimes. That's such a great recommendation here. I think she just nails the like, okay, you're scared, so do it scared vibe mm-hmm. and the the value of that. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really great pick. All right, moving on to a question from Joan. Uh, who's been listening to podcasts with us for years and loves them. So thank you, Joan. Um, Thank you, Joan. This recommendation is for her. Uh, Would love to read a beautiful memoir written by a 50-plus-year-old woman dealing with the travails of aging, an added plus if she's doing cool things and having amazing adventures. You are up. Um, People who have listened to the show for a long time know I have a subspecialty in old men waiting to die. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is less and less of an, an esoteric interest as, as the years go as the years go on. Um, it's getting a little closer to home. Getting gets you know not as far away, um, but I don't have as many of these, and there's fewer of these than there should be. But there's a couple, and the mm-hmm. one that immediately jumped to mind to me is I feel bad about my neck, and other thoughts yes. on being a wound by the immortal Nora Ephron. Um, Wonderful women of a certain age dealing with getting older, empty nests menopause told with all of the razor sharpness and humanity that you get with either Efron, Efron of your choice, but Nora here is the one in the spotlight. This holds up great. I reread it recently. I re-listened to it recently around left on 10th because mm-hmm. I, I had read it a long time ago, but there was an audiobook version. So I ripped through the Efron that was available in Libby and I could read a thousand of these. She's also a New Yorker, which it gives me some New York vibes, um, but it's funny moving, I don't know. I guess this is one I, I think about again. I was like, God damn, I miss Nora Ephron. I just miss Nora yeah. Ephron. Um, so that's my pick. I feel bad about my neck by Nora Ephron. It's very real. It's a good one. I want the books that Joan is looking for mm. here. Older women dealing with aging and also doing cool things and having amazing adventures. I couldn't really find anything that rang both of those bells. Um I read a couple years ago, Glynis McNichol had a memoir called No One Tells You This that's about like mm. being solidly in her 40s. And I loved reading that. Um, I think I did some research here and Steph O'Terry, one of our writers at Book Riot, did a list called Eight Memoirs About Getting Older. We'll put the link to it in the show right. notes. But I cherry picked a couple of those that are going directly onto my list. Uh, one of them is Love and Trouble, A Midlife Reckoning by Claire Dederer. Dederer I'm not sure mm-hmm. how she pronounces it, but kind of about... Um, Getting to that midlife place where you are reconciling the space, the change between how you saw yourself as a young person and the middle-aged person that you have become. She's like kind of looking for a jailbreak, uh, makes some wild, if not exciting, adventurous decisions. Um, 
I'm really looking forward to reading it. Uh, there's also Old in Art School by Nell Painter, which uh, this might come the closest to the request mm. for older women doing cool things. Um, but she had retired from teaching at Princeton. She's a historian. And in her 60s, returns to school to get a bachelor's and then ultimately an MFA in painting. And so Olden Art School takes her from her home in New Jersey up to RISD, the Rhode Island School of Design, and is about this sort of mid to later in life reinvention. Um, again, I haven't read it. It was in uh, Steph's list of books, mm. but this sounds like it might do that thing about both what it's like to have this experience, but you can't separate the having the experience from the having of it when you have already lived a full right. life and had a whole career and are going back. Um, and so I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's, she said it was really frank and very funny. So I'm looking forward to going back and trying that one. Um, and I guess for the mm. travails of aging, I have read Why We Can't Sleep by Ada Calhoun, which is yeah. geared towards women in Gen X. Um, what's going on with both like the physical, biological, why you can't sleepness of perimenopause and menopause, but also the all of the social and political pressures. And if you have children and also aging parents, how, the sort of dual pressure of that situation. Um, I really loved that book. And I'm going to pick up The Mad Woman in the Volvo by Sandra Singh Lowe, which is also about um, much more specifically like a, a menopausal experience. So maybe some combination of that variety pack will get you also where, where you're trying to go, yeah. Joan. But yeah. I was grateful for this request because I had been sort of thinking about these things as well. I like to read memoirs by women who are a little bit older than me as a kind of mm. like preview of here's where <laughs> you're going or here's what it could be like. You know, it doesn't have to be the way that it looks in the media. Here's another way to think about this next phase of your life. And uh, it kind of feels like those fall off after the 40s. So if you're listening and you have good recommendations for me and Joan yeah. about women in their 50s or older, please shoot us a note uh, at podcast at bookriot.com and we will shout them out on a future episode as well. I mean, I think these don't exist as much for all the normal crappy reasons. Mm -hmm. I yep. guess there's maybe some money bollish potential. These people buy books, by yeah. the way. So I don't know. It feels like there should be a ton more of these. I agree. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Beth is up next. This is the dreaded get somebody to read something they usually don't request, but it's for me. I usually okay. read genre fiction and struggle to read nonfiction. But I love the natural world, so I love a wreck on some accessible pop fiction, pop science nonfiction. I do enjoy memoirs, but I have a TBR stack full of those. In case they help, here are my interests. I'm not going to read all of these. The DNF is interesting. H is for Hawk, The Falcon Thief, mm -hmm. Why Fish Don't Exist, Secret Life of Lobsters, Kitchen Confidential. Sorry, it's okay. It's okay, Beth. I appreciate your sorry, <laughs> but it's okay. Rats, Lice, and History. No, thank you. I need to delete this from the doc as soon as we're done here. Can't have this at all. And the Emperor of All Maladies, Library and Hold. Library Hold ran out before I could finish it. Exclamation point. Okay, Rebecca, you're up first. You know, Beth, you're allowed to get yourself to read something you don't normally read. That's <laughs> we right. We just object to trying to foist that on other people. Yes, um, that's true. I think this might be a job for Mary Roach, if you have not read her. Mary Roach makes nonfiction and learning about 
like very specific kind of weird subjects really fun uh the most recent one is fuzz and it's about like nature behaving badly so you get a chapter on mary roach Mm. hanging out with the mounties up in canada and talking about how they solve the problem of bears breaking into the large trash cans in the alleyway behind restaurants (laughs) that kind of stuff um just the unruliness of nature and how it intersects with modern society. But all of Mary Roach, I think, would be fun. If you want to go a little more science-y, The Nature Fix by Florence Williams is solid. Um, That's a great one. Or, you know, we both loved and talked about her newer book, Heartbreak, last year. If you go that direction, I mean, that's less science and the natural world and more humanity. Uh, But that's great on audio. Since you mentioned that you did read The Emperor of All Maladies, but... You know, I was I was like searching this DNF list for like, what does this tell me about like Mm -hmm. this person's interests or limitations? But if you're willing to go there, that's pretty sciencey. And I Contain Multitudes by Ed Yong makes the science of bacteria really fun and fascinating. And since you read a book about rats, lice and history, or you were at least open to one, I think I can Uh pitch you a bacteria book. Uh, and Better Living Through Birding by Christian Cooper, which just came out. I have not read it, but is more on the memoir tip, but about his experiences as a birder and specifically a black man in the world of ornithology. So I think that might be um, a little, not necessarily lighter, but like an easier mm. entree than H's for Hawk. H's for Hawk is a like real particular vibe. And it's yeah. not hard to read, but it's like really quiet and very slow and I think Christian Cooper might, you know, pick things up a little bit more there. Um, I picked up on your interest association with memoirs. Uh, can I do both? Mm-hmm. Can I can I deep my my beak into both? So I picked Being Mor- Mortal by Atul Gawande, um, who is a doctor in his 2014 book. Is that right? I'm looking yeah, here. I'm so. looking at the audio book, something like that. Yeah, called Being Mortal um, talks about end of life. Uh, both as a doctor and his own experience with it and stories from his own medical experience, but also a broader picture about why it's bad in America, other ways of doing it, you know, all kinds of things that I think is really beautiful and hard. But since you already can read about the worst thing in the world, which is lice, I figured you could probably take on Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. The other one I just thought about, and I guess I might have expected to see it amongst the ones you've already tried, is... um, an old, an old favorite, an old standby that I haven't talked about. Wild Lab Girl by Hope Jarin. It's also a memoir <gasps> yes. by a scientist who's a botanist, and it's really wonderful <laughs> at the same time. Forgot so about I'm blending Lab Girl. Men- yeah, don't sleep on Lab Girl. Um, I think Eminem wrote that. Don't forget about Lab Girl. <laughs> that was an Eminem um, track. Uh, so both of those, I think, blend memoir with pop science, mm-hmm. and probably wonderful. is kind of the right thing I, I would be surprised if you didn't like them even knowing that you some your taste can abandon you no i'm kidding you're fine you're fine but knowing not everything i like you're going to like i guess what i'm saying i feel like these would be on the tip that you're gonna like so that's being mortal by Tolga one day and lab girl by hope jaron all right next question comes to us from joan in colorado looking for a propulsive long family saga for summer extra points for religion cult or adoption subplots this is for joan herself she says i'm a mom and i have been a grad so i don't feel guilty asking joan you don't have to give us any explanation you get to make a request and that's it so propulsive long family saga for summer take it away jeff hmm I love my pick. This is recency bias. <laughs> <laughs> Should I spoil this? Maybe I will. I'll spoil it here. 
um, I had occasion to read all of Khaled Hosseini's books over the last few weeks because I interviewed Khaled Hosseini for first edition on the occasion of the 20th anniversary of The Kite Runner. So I went ahead and read his books because I, if, if, if I do anything as I do the reading. And maybe I didn't need to read them all, but I'm sure glad I did because I had a heck of a time. And Kite Runner sold the most, but I think A Thousand Splendid Sons is the best of the three major books that he has out. Kite Runner, a phenomenon. I think it's a good book. I could see why people like it. It's very moving. I'll, I can make myself cry by thinking about it. Mm. Um, when, I, when I interviewed Hussaini, one of the things he said he wanted to do with The Thousand Splendid Sun is turn his attention to the plight um, and stories of women in Afghanistan. There weren't that many women in Kite Runner. Um, and as he had more experience and was starting to get involved with the UN, he's like, there's so many stories here, and I'm going to use and turn my attention and my wattage such that I have onto stories of women. And it's also completely set in Afghanistan. There's no immigration back and forth, U.S. It's a story of Afghan people in Afghanistan and the trials, tribulations, alliances, joys, and beauty and pain that goes along with it. It's better than I remembered. It's it's genuinely very, very good. And I'm not trying, because what I'm trying to disambiguate is not that all things that are huge hits aren't awesome, but this one as a sophomore novel sold very well. A lot of it was because of the kite runner and people were, but it also was genuinely, it was the Goodreads winner of that year, the, the, the reader's choice. So it's very, very readable. And that's what you want in the summer, right? I think upmarket family saga in the summer is a, that was a publication I would subscribe to. It's very good. It's very, very good. I will say this. There is not a trigger warning that does not apply. So, there you go. Thousand Splendid Sons by Coletta Sini. That's a good pick. Um, I have a couple. It's hard to do to find like the big long family sagas because mm-hmm. folks are just, I think, especially for summer, they're trying to stay in that like 350 kind of range. But yeah. the chunkiest one I could think of is The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo. Came out a few years ago. It's about two or three generations of a family in Chicago or the Chicago area. They have four adult kids. Most of those kids have kids of their own. Um, And you get the perspective of the parents who are in their golden years reflecting on their family life and all the complexities. Their adult kids are still mostly around and, you know, in various states of doing well or not in all kinds Mm -hmm. of ways. And then they've also got relationships with their grandkids. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think about it often. It's kind of a perfect, big, chunky summer family saga book. Um, So definitely pick up that one. Uh, I recently read, this one's brand new, If We're Being Honest by Kat Shook uh, about a big family in Georgia uh, coming together for after the death of one of them. And you get the grandparents, after the it's after the patriarch's death, um, the grandfather. So you get grandma, you get the four adult kids, and then you get a, a bunch of the kids, the cousins, who are, and I say kids, but those cousins are like ranging from their late 20s to mid 30s. And you also spend time with all of them. It moves really quickly. It's juicy. People have got secrets. And it has like re- that really snappy dialogue and lots of good asides where you get to see like, this cousin is kind of the weirdo and her boyfriend is around and no one can figure out like how he puts up with her. And then somebody mm. like loses it at dinner and finally just says, Ryan, we don't know how you put up with her. Like, it just sort of captures those moments really well. It was a fun mm. read. 
um, which made me think about the Turner House by Angela Floridoy, which is also a multi-generational, like wonderful novel about a family kind of trying to decide what to do at a transition point. Love Angela Floridoy. I think we had wondered aloud, like, what is she up to? Yeah. And then recently saw she has a couple, a deal for another book or two. She broke up the soon. double-barreled shotgun she novel did. memoir. Bam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to see her come back on the scene. But the Turner House is a like kind of that'll do you good. That book doesn't have an expiration date on it. So I would go to that one also. Very cool. Um, my read, this is from Nikki. Do you have any recommendations for a good heist book? Oh, I love a good heist book. can be nonfiction, <laughs> fictional account of a real event, or straight fiction. My dad loves movies like Ocean's Eleven. That is because your dad is a yes. carbon-based life form. Um, <laughs> or the Italian job and is wanting to start reading. So I thought this would be a good on-ramp. Any thoughts and thank you. Oh, I wish there were more of these. I would read yep. a good heist book once a what month. What about a heist by a woman of a certain age? A heist book about a woman yes. of a certain age. <laughs> Ocean's 8, but everyone's a senior citizen. Ocean's 80. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin have time to do yeah, this. Yeah, that's right. Please make that's it true. happen. <laughs> Oceans, I will sign up for Oceans 80 right now. Cash on the barrel. Um, the best heist book that I have ever read that's about a real heist is Flawless by Scott Andrew Selby. And it is about the world's largest diamond heist. It has all the things that you think the world's largest diamond heist are going to have. It was just really fun. It moved. It's like 10 years old. And I still remember sitting down to read it on a Saturday and just like not getting up until I was done. Like how are they going to pull this off? Um, mm. And then in the fiction tip, I have to mention Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. The main character is the best getaway driver in all the land, and he gets reeled back in for one last job, and it's a jewelry store heist. So you get heist vibes, but also like just really action-packed driving scenes, which I did not know that driving scenes on the page could be as compelling as he makes them. It's a really fun read, so especially if you're trying to like hook your dad into his new interest in reading Blacktop Wasteland will really turn the pages. Um, I'm going Monuments Men by Robert Edsel. And you might think because there is an adaptation of this movie starring George Clooney, that's why I'm doing it, because <laughs> Ocean's Eleven has George Clooney in it, but I'm here oh, to yeah. tell you that this movie is terrible. I don't understand why it was so bad. I had read Monuments Men. I saw it was being made into a movie. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. And when I tell you the picture, you're going to hear why. And then I saw it. I was like, usually I'm I'm okay with a, you know, any kind of adaptation I think is an additive thing. This is one of the rare cases where the movie was so, I fell asleep during the middle. The, I don't fall asleep during oh, movies God. and I didn't ever finish it. It was so bad. Awful. The story here, it's a nonfiction book. The subtitle will tell you, Allied Heroes, Nazi Thieves, and the Greatest Treasure Hunt in History. So this, the Monuments Men were this group of museum curators mixed in with regular armed forces, um, librarians, art historians, who were charged in the days after V, um, between D-Day and V-E Day, that 11th period between the the landing on in Normandy and the end of the war, with racing through Europe to try to save all of the art that the Nazis had stolen, and then also to protect things from being destroyed by Nazis on the way out. It's unbelievably great. Um, I highly recommend it. So it's kind of a reverse heist. 
where the, the, they're stealing back stuff or trying to protect it. So there's this particular statue in Belgium. There's this train full of stuff that they're trying. There's, this, there's these rumors of this underground treasure hoard that Herman Goebbels had put all this gold and painting. And what are we going to do with all this? What happened to all the stuff in the Louvre? I thought it was great. And I'm still, it still makes me sad and angry that this movie turned out to be such a turkey. I don't understand why it was so bad. This should be great. But the book is really good. Um, so that's The Monuments Men by Robert Edsel. Came out, let's see, I don't know. It's been out for a while, 2010. All right. My Your read. read. My, this is from Sarah. I'm currently pregnant with my first child with love recommendations for books about pregnancy, motherhood, parenting, and the identity shifts that come along with this major life change. I'm especially interested in feminist perspectives and more honest, unfiltered, nuanced points of view. It can be fiction or memoir, preferably not how-to. I loved and read every. Th- I lo- read and loved Expecting Better by Emily Oster and The Farm by Joanne Ramos and memoirs like Priest Daddy, Somebody's Daughter, and Miss and Miseducated. As an avid listener, I'm sure that anything you've read and loved will also find. I will also find compelling. Thank you. All right, I not, am not exactly your wheelhouse. Out exactly of my depth here. <laughs> Not exactly, uh, but I have listened to several podcast interviews with Angela mm. Garbus, who has two books out. One is called Like a Mother, which is a feminist approach, a feminist journey is the subtitle, through the science and culture of pregnancy. And her other book is Essential Labor, Mothering as Social Change. Uh, so not so much on the memoir tip, but and definitely not a how-to, but these are certainly feminist perspectives about understanding the transition into motherhood, how our culture views motherhood, the work of motherhood, and certainly what the work of motherhood could be, what a feminist interpretation of that would look like, and where feminism encourages us to go in our thinking about motherhood. I have not read these books because mothering is not a thing I desire to do. It's not an identity uh, that I care to have, but I have heard enough of her and uh, uh, listened to enough folks who have, who have read the books fully that I really trust that those would be great and interesting. I did listen several years ago to a memoir by Megan O'Connell called And Now We Have Everything, which is about her pregnancy and childbirth and like right at, immediate sort of first couple of months after childbirth. And it is like very visceral and very descriptive of the experience. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know... Um, how specific that you want to be but i was like wow she just takes you right in there through the whole thing and she's also coming from a very strong feminist perspective sort of examining why does she want to be a parent how is she going to think about herself as a mother and as a woman what does it mean is shifting inside her relationship she's a straight woman so inside her relationship with her husband um i thought it was really great i think about it often especially as a like i'm glad that people get to do that but wow that sounds like a lot to go through and I don't want to go through it kind of way. Um, mm. But I think it, it would, it's certainly a like, fully realized memoir about what, what going through that is like. I went a slightly different way. Um, there are two things, and I'm actually going to hit the other recommendation later because it's a little more specific okay. about new parenting. Um, this one is more, uh, I'll be personal for a second. There are two things that I, and I'll speak for Michelle here quickly, wrestled with in the early days of our parenting and still wrestle with one is getting enough sleep and be now what and the now what being what do we it's an atom bomb on your life having a kid for most of us Mm -hmm. and by what i mean by that it just destroys what was there and you have to rebuild it in some particular way and some of that is deciding what you're not going to do anymore what are you going to choose not to do not to care about in the wake of 
pouring energy, attention, and time into not just your your child, but your family. Um, and the triangulations are different. And Drop the Ball by Tiffany Dufu, it's actually a book we read company-wide a few years ago, is about reassessing what matters and also trying to figure out how to get the things done you care about and open openly communicating about it and deciding which balls can just be dropped, right? Not And it's kind of inverting the pejorative. When you say drop the ball, it means you shouldn't have dropped the ball. But sometimes you got to let stuff go. you got to decide either not to care about it or care about it differently. Or if you really do care about it and something's like it done, you've got to communicate with those in your life about how to get that thing done under these new and different circumstances. And everyone's experience of this is a lot different. I really shy away from parenting books, I have to admit. Yeah. I feel like it's so specific to the parent and the kid and the situation that it, I find it very difficult to recommend a particular story. Um, there's not a lot of longitudinal studies for people for reasons people might understand. So... I really think about sleep uh, and how, how to, and there's some physical things and what to expect, what you're expecting. Don't read the last chapter unless you have to. I made that mistake. But I think from a, there's a, there's sort of a meta point here about it's a chance. And if you, if you don't reassess your priorities at this moment, you're going to, you're going to really struggle because your priorities are going to be rearranged whether you think, whether you want them to or not. And the sooner you think about that, the better. And some of those priorities will get deprecated spend less time and attention, or maybe decide, you know what, I don't vacuum every week now. Or, I, yeah. you know, I used to like to go to, I used to like to watch sports, but I don't watch sports, and it's, maybe it's for now, maybe it's forever, but I'm making a different kind of choice. And I don't know if this is something people talk about anymore, but if you can have everything, I haven't seen it. And I don't know what that looks like, but what I do know, know look like is you get up to prioritize the things you care about. And that's going to mean and not everything that you care about a little is going to stay on. It's letting stuff go you care about. That's the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. Anyone can let go of stuff they don't care about. It's the stuff that you actually do kind of care about. That you know what? I don't have it. We don't have it. We don't. It's not up there on my list. So that's I'm I'm extemporaneously going. It's a really important idea to me. Um, and I think a lot of new parents struggle with this new reality they deal with. Mm-hmm. Drop the ball, Tiffany Doof. I love that angle on that question. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita De Monte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. So this is one of my most anticipated books of the year. It follows two women of color who are in the art world, but who also kind of sit outside of it because of a lack of privilege. So the story is told from both of their perspectives and it moves back and forth through time. So in 1985, Anita DeMonte is a rising star in the art world and she's found dead in New York City, right? And then in 1998, Raquel, a third year art history student, becomes involved with an older, more privileged art student and finds herself rising up the social ranks as a result. But then she also stumbles upon Anita's story and she sees parallels between Anita's story and her own. So Anita DeMonte Laughs Last is a propulsive, witty examination of power. Make sure to pick it up. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal. 
So Arthur Casimir is a criminal mastermind and collector of secrets. Her prestigious tea room transforms into an illegal bloodhouse by night because obviously it does. It caters to the vampires feared by society. But when her establishment is threatened, she has to make a deal with an alluring adversary. So Arthi hatches a plan to infiltrate the sinister, glittering vampire society known as the Ethereum. But not everyone in her ragtag crew is on her side. And as the truth behind the heist unfolds, Arthi finds herself in the midst of a conspiracy that will threaten the world as she knows it. So this is the highly anticipated next project from the author of We Hunt the Flame. It's got a fierce female lead. The story is fun and fast paced while also exploring significant themes like colonialism, prejudice, betrayal, and self-acceptance. I mean, it's got vampires and heists. Make sure to check it out, get into it, and thanks again to A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal for sponsoring this episode. Um, uh, next one, I think it's my read. Your read, yes, indeed. Yeah, from Sophia, who is looking for memoirs. In the last couple of years, uh, have discovered how much I love reading memoirs and currently tearing through Maggie Smith's You Can Make This Place Beautiful. Do we have any similar memoir recommendations? She's also recently read Crying in H Mart, I'm Glad My Mom Died, The Anthropocene Reviewed, and both of Nora Ephron's and Delia Ephron's Left on Tenth. Um, also has a deep love of poetry if that helps good questions i love memoirs um i guess i'm just going for a, a food twofer i think i go. read these in back-to-back years um the first is taste by stanley tucci which you heard us talk about on the show i mean it's wonderful get on audiobook if you can he just is a wonderful narrator about his life and food and warmth and it's like Whatever the reading experience of sitting around in a smoking jacket and, and um, drinking bourbon next to a fire, that's what this is. It's urbane and mm-hmm. approachable. Um, it's, it's, it's so confidently self-deprecating and aware that it makes them seem even more confident. So just love that. From Scratch by Tembi Locke, um, got turned into a pretty popular Netflix series. I think that actually did some did some views. I don't think we have a mm-hmm. unit of measure for these things anymore. But it's a memoir of, and I, there's, it's very difficult. It doesn't go great in From Scratch. I don't want to say more about it. But her memoir of moving to Italy, following, falling in love, starting a life, getting involved with food, things happen, prepare to cry. But they're both really wonderful. From, from Scratch is a five-alarm snot bomb. Um, Taste by Stanley Tucci is a five olive martini. That's the way I would describe it. So charming. Stanley Tucci's book. So wonderful. Charm and I loved this question. I love a Mm. memoir by a poet. Give me poets writing about their lives just always and forever. Um, So I have to trot out When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams. She is a poet and a conservation writer. And this is her memoir that if you've been listening to this show for a while, you probably can do the pitch for yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, When she was 54, she wrote this book examining the journals that her mother left when she died at the age of 54. Uh, They grew up in Terry was raised in the Mormon tradition where it's very important for women to keep journals and they pass them down to their daughters and she finally goes in to her mother's journals and discovers that all of them are blank and this is her meditation on what does that mean what kind of message was her mother trying to send if any what kind of agency was she exercising by choosing not to write anything in those journals what does it mean to have a voice Mm -hmm. and to choose when to use your voice and when to not use it Uh, just 
It's really beautiful. And it's written as, I think the subtitle is 54 variations on voice. Um, So it's like little meditations, little vignettes. They're very poetic. I think you will love it. Um, We also have to talk about Ross Gay and either The Book of Delights or Inciting Joy. You should pick up both of them. He is a poet. These memoirs are about... Uh, his journey, his process of finding like small bits of beauty in his life, even in uh, difficult days, difficult experiences, understanding sorrow as a great connector that can lead to joy, just gorgeous sentences. Uh, so, I mean, those three, those will set you up well. Pick up When Women Were yeah. Birds and the, the two Ross Gay. Then you get some Stanley Tucci, you shake your martini, you're good to go. And all of those will help you recover from your five alarm snot bomb with 10 B-Lock. Yes. Yeah. It's from <laughs> scratch first and then uh, clean up the mess. Emotional yeah. tissues coming in hot after. All right. Next one uh, is from quick Victoria. One. Yeah, this is a quick one. We're not in my wheelhouse here at all, so it's mm. going to be all you. Victoria's looking for a book for a sister-in-law who loves f- historical fiction and loved The Nightingale. It's too bad there isn't more historical fiction about World War II. It's too bad. I wish we had... No, I'm kidding. There's a bunch of it. Um, and you can find lists and everything else. I don't know exactly what about The Nightingale is specific here. I'm just going to go to the well of Immortals for <laughs> historical fiction. Urbane Rules of Civility is set in the 30s. You may have heard me talk about Jim in Moscow or Lincoln Highway before. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've shouted out Rules of Civility sufficiently. It's the one where there's a woman that's closer to the center. Like one of the main characters is a woman, which is the one of the three books. So that's why I'm picking up on the Nightingale. Maybe it's the sisters in Nightingale that they like especially. But it's set in the glamorous world of New York in the 30s. Very black and white art deco. Think Gatsby, but if Gatsby was written like 50 years later in retrospect in the modern sensibility, the guy also can write a damn sentence. It's just really mm-hmm. good stuff. It's not going to be as plot heavy as the Nightingales. I mean, spies during World War II. Is there anything more plot heavy than that? It's like the trope of plottiness. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, looking for a historical fiction, it's maybe up one notch in the literary scale, just so you know. Um, though I think The Nightingale is very readable and Kristen Hanna has made a heck of a career for herself. You might look at the rest of the Kristen Hanna, honestly. You know, sometimes I forget that a more casual reader won't necessarily laterally move up and down a, a, a author's corpus. Um, but if you're looking at something outside of that, Rules of Silver Immortals, I love him. And this would be the book I'd pick with only really The Nightingale to go off of. Hmm. All right, my read... Uh, from Amy. My entire family and extended family are avid readers, so a good recommendation always goes a long way. My dad is an avid reader of fiction, defying Jeff's typical dad books. Look, it's not my category. <laughs> we did not make the dad book. I didn't make it up. And it's not all dads, hashtag. But I hear what you're saying, but thank you. And we'll read almost any genre. He's great about picking up my recommendations and tore through both essay. Um, Cosby books when I thought he might like them. He has read every book by Elmore Leonard, Stephen King, Loves Fantasy, enjoyed Station Eleven and Sea of Tranquility. Good job, dad. That's yes, what I like to hear. This is good. He he reads so much that it's hard to find something new for him. I would say not a big literary fiction fan, but he would read it. I would love an author wreck with multiple books in a series. I see what you're doing there. He's gonna run through these. I get it. He's a former police officer and detective and reads crime novels, but steers clear of anything graphic or or disturbing. I'd say this. Has your dad considered writing a novel? I would read your dad's novel. A former police officer that likes fantasy, let's go. 
But having said that, <laughs> yeah. Rebecca, where would you lead uh, Amy Looks in like picking for her dad? Dad contains some multitudes. Uh, yeah. For a series, you might want to try Joe Ide's IQ series. Been a That's while a since pick. I read the first one. It sort of fell off my radar, but I did really like it about a like citizen detective kind of guy who is in L.A. They're gritty and fun. It's a voice that you don't often get in crime fiction. Um, since your dad went from Elmore Leonard and Stephen King to Station Eleven and Sea of Tranquility, mm-hmm. I think also that like literary with a bent, literary with some spec fic stuff would work for him. And so I'm going to say, try dad on Ishiguru. Start him with Never Let Me Go or Clara and the Sun. See how it like goes. That. They're like grounded that. enough in the real world with, like, you know, you're not building whole new planetary systems or whatever. Like, we're mm-hmm. set in the real world, but with technologies that we don't yet have or that we, like, might have very soon. Um, and the writing is just so, so gorgeous. Um, I think it's worth a shot, especially because, like, Sea of Tranquility is real quiet. Not a lot happens mm. there. And if your dad liked that and could hang with that, I think Ishiguru is good. And like, if somehow dad has not read The Martian and Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, just give the man some Andy Weir. Get him on that tip. I kind of thought of the similar vein of Ishiguro, but I went Colson Whitehead. We're both looking a way to get our faves Great. in here, right? And you you mm-hmm. can get a lot of different things, right? You get a lot of different, it's like a buffet. It's like a literary buffet. You get a little of this, you get a little of that. Um, but elevated, to use the trope from um, cooking and fiction, I should say. You get, you get some crime novels, you get some zombies, you get some memoir. One of the many reasons we love Whitehead is that from book to book, you're getting all the colors mm-hmm. in the rainbow. It's On the series pick. point, elevated pick, um, Benjamin Black, which is the mystery thriller pseudonym of the writer John Banville, who is a literary fiction writer by day, and a crime fiction writer by The Black of Night, his quirk series, I think the first one is called Christine Falls, and in front of me, it's, you know, this down-on-the-luck investigator, very literate. There's like six of them. I really like them. This is as close to series reading as I'm going to do um, because it's not very gory, the ones that I remember, and it's it's mostly about the hang, the, the mise-en-scene, um, and the dialogue. So Benjamin Black, the quirk series, Q. U-I-R-K-E. And then on the new front, I'm looking at this for myself, mm-hmm. but one of these big genre, upmarket genre, The Ferryman by Justin Cronin. We just talked about this. There's a utopia. It's out on an island. Things don't go well. That's in the Station Eleven Sea of Tranquility vibe. It feels a little more toward genre than Emily St. John Mandel does. She's more literary, but it's right in that pocket. Maybe that Stephen King crossed with Emily St. John Mandel is what Cronin does when he's working at his best. And it sounds like the ferryman is very good. So that's my last pick there. I saw that on your notes and I was like desperately hoping that you were going to be like, I read this yesterday and it was amazing. Sorry and here I am. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> we can do that yeah. homework together this summer. It'll be fun. Um, right. All right. This read is mine. This is from Josh who says, this will probably make zero sense, but here we go. Look, I love a wild shot. Let's do it, Josh. He says, give me a recommendation that gives me indie alt music vibes. I love bands like The Shins, The Postal Service, Matt Pond, PA, and The Decemberist, Beck, all those kind of guys. I could just list band names until the end of time. Books that I feel kind of fit the vibe are Love is a Mixtape by Rob Sheffield, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, Normal People by Sally Rooney, and Infinite Jest, he says probably, but I haven't read it. 
by David Foster mm-hmm. Wallace, uh, Crying in H Bart by Zahner, and so on. They can be fiction or nonfiction. Now he's going to go ask the Strokes to make a song that gives Never Let Me Go vibes. I'm here for that song, Josh. That's so let's really see. Good. What do you have? This was such an interesting way to pose a question. I love this framing. Yeah, I think I sort of get it. It's like indie, mainstream indie. Um, I love the Shins too. Mm-hmm. I love Postal Service. I love the Decembrists. I like, so I know this. So it's like, they're not true indies because people have heard of them. So it's like, Knopf, <laughs> sort mm-hmm. of. It's like <laughs> what the strangest thing Knopf might do. The, so Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, I think literary genre is a good pick in general, but Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu is one of my favorite. Um, Bad Cree is one I read recently. It's a horror novel by an indigenous author named Jessica Johns, but it has a very like, it's like, this is also a bunch of teenagers doing stuff. So teenagers hanging out and in peril also has an indie rock kind of vibe to it. I think the canonical example might be A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan, which includes musicians and rock musicians, but it has a sort of inventiveness to it. And a self-seriousness, but also an irony that goes along with it. Um, yeah, I think those are my... I had another one here, but I, I'm going to leave it at there for now. Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, Bad Cree by Jessica Johns, and A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan are my three picks there. Yeah. I had a hard time with this. I think I liked this mm. question because it was such a me challenge. A it made me one. realize that my reading vibe and my music vibes are very different. Um I, but maybe like the indie rock of literary fiction is Kevin Wilson. I was thinking about now is mm-hmm. not the time to panic is a newer one uh, or the newest one about two teenagers in 1997 who accidentally set off a satanic panic in their small town. And like decades later, it's still like people still tell the story and it's still shaping their lives. And a reporter has figured out that one of them was the person behind it. And like, what are they going to do about that? I keep waiting for Kevin Wilson to have the kind of breakout moment that lets me do the thing that I do about like the dashboard confessional show that I saw in yeah. 1998. Where I'm like, I was there before everybody else was like, mm-hmm. get it. There's still time to get in on the Kevin Wilson ground floor, which is kind of a crime because he's excellent and should be like much better. Known tr- it's a great point. It's a great point. I think that vibe is like, if you know, you know, is part of the deal here. Yeah. Like, that's a great yes. observation. Like, but all the books, each book has like some, some weird quirky thing about the setup. The previous one um, called mm-hmm. Nothing to See Here is about these people who have kids who, when they become like angry or upset, they spontaneously, like they don't combust, they like they don't explode, but they like break out in fire, like fire starts coming off their bodies. It's There's a perfect little world about people growing up, people raising their kids and their children growing up inside a like psychology experiment to create a utopia it's just wonderful but yeah the like if you know you know vibe is very much part of kevin wilson um and then i'll just re-shout out stay true by washu which has a lot of stuff about music in it being a teenager or young adult driving around with your new friends with the windows down exploring your life it's kind of a grown-up extension of those feelings from perks of being a wallflower and i think that might get to your indie alt-rock vibe too great question i love that one okay donna i'm leading some writing retreats later this year and would love some book recommendations about the magic that can happen in writing creativity and discourse when a group of people get together a friend recommended provence 1970 seconded i love that book Mm -hmm. have others that's about cooking by the way um 
fiction and well mfk fisher is mostly a writer but julia child and anyway um fiction and nonfiction suggestions welcome and thank you all right i don't read a whole lot about writing i realized as Mm -hmm. i was thinking about this one but i do i love danny shapiro's writing she's a poet she also writes a lot about craft she has a couple books that are specifically about craft and then most of her books explore her life as a writer so you get some craft stuff in there there's a lot of sort of Mm -hmm. community and relationship Um, but the thing that i really thought of is jamie attenberg had the one who's a wonderful novelist and has a great memoir out also has a Substack called craft talk that began a couple of years ago in the summer as uh, like she was trying to do a project of writing a thousand words a day through the summer. At, at the beginning, it was called Thousand Words of Summer. Um, and you could join the challenge to also write your thousand words every day. I did not do this, but I watched with great interest as people did it. And she sent out a newsletter like once a week, I think, about you know this process. And she's now working on a book that pulls from those about so, like writing advice and writing in community, the, like, the community that has formed up around the Thousand Words of Summer and now Craft Talk News newsletter seems to be like really robust and friendly and a great source of ideas and inspiration for mm-hmm. folks. Um, I, I see Attenberg talk about it online and then I see it pop up in things that other people mention. So that might be a wonderful, not a book resource for you, but a wonderful place to go. Got a few ideas. Um, the first one I want is like, and there's fewer, we talked about this when we talked about Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Zevin, which mm-hmm. is my first suggestion here. The thing we like the most about that book is people together making something. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what you're maybe tapping into here. They get together, you say, but I think together to make something. And it may be writing focus, maybe artistic, and making video games certainly is. But anytime where people are in conversation to each other with a shared interest, but it's not just a bullshit session. It's like they're actually trying to make something. They're van- they're at the vanguard of something. They're in the they're in the creative pocket. And those pieces of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow were my favorite things about that book. Um, I'm going to give a, I'm going to give one historical work, which is at the existential at the existentialist mm-hmm. cafe by Sarah Bakewell. Again, a little bit recency bias because I interviewed her for a new book on humanism. But this one is about being in Paris in 1933 and at the initiating um, moment is three people sit down over apricot cocktails. I love the specificity Mm. of that. At a specific bar, and it's in in a part of Paris, and it's Sartre, Simone de Beauvoir, and their friend Raymond Aron. And basically, they hear about this idea called phenomenology. And then it turns into philosophy, and it turns into existentialism. And it's about the relationships and their squabbles and rebellions and partnerships and then how it became part of our intellectual framework to this day. Um, I think this is the one that broke Sarah Bakewell out. I still am kind of chasing the high. I would read a thousand books of different artistic movements about this. I've been looking for one like this about the Algonquin Roundtable. I've never really found it, Mm. um, but if anyone knows that. So my next two picks are in the similar vein, sort of transitioning to fiction from straight reported or secondary sources. The second one is a primary source. It's a movable feast by Ernest Hemingway. Don't roll your eyes though out there. I'm already, roll them if you want to, but I'll say this. A movable feast by Ernest Hemingway straight rips. It is his account of living among the expatriates and going to parties and talking to F. Scott Fitzgerald and talking to Gertrude Stein and going out to bars and there's unbelievable anecdotes. It's especially funny too because the backstory is he wrote these things down while he was in Paris in the 20s and then you know, put them in a locker, put them in a trunk and didn't find them until 30 years later in 1956 and sort of works with with works with his I think his editor 
and just decides to publish them. And it's a real slice of life of a very important time. And one, frankly, that's become a bit of a cliche in a, in a stereotype or a, or a cartoon. And when you read this, it's hard not to fall in love with a little bit. Say what you would about Hemingway, and he was a bad person in some degrees, um, a, a parodied stylist, but a movable feast is really, it's really quite excellent. And the last one is a super deep cut, um, Infants of the Spring by Wallace Thurman, who was one of the second tier writers of the Harlem Renaissance. Not, not in terms of quality, just in terms of, you know, he's not Hurston, he's not Hughes in terms of people that get remembered, but this is his novel of the Harlem Renaissance. And there's characters in there that represent Hughes and represent um, uh, Claude McKay and W.B. Du Bois and, and, and the, the leading lights of the day. And it's about being in this particular time and place of creative energy and foment. And it's a little more satirical than maybe he's got an edge to him. So even the time he's sort of celebrating it, he's looking at it critically. So you might do a little like Wikipedia about the Harlem Renaissance if you want to see it and, and know what he's really talking about. But that one really stuck with me. I'm, I'm surprised the book isn't more widely known frankly. Sad story for Wallace Thurman, but The Infants of the String, a remarkable document of a remarkable time. Those are mine. I knew you would nail that one. Ah, thank you very much. Uh, you're me. Un- nope, you. Sorry. I went last, so you should read this one. Oh, yeah. This is from an unnamed Patreon member uh, looking for recommendations for a first-time supervisor. New work experience. Boy. Um... I think, Rebecca, tell me if I'm wrong, in our history of doing this, there's things you can do specifically about time management and task tracking and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of it comes down to feelings about how things mm-hmm. are going. And No Hard Feelings by Liz Fossline and Molly Duffy is a fun and accessible way of dealing with the truth of you've got to be a pro, but you're also a person. And that's not always easy to juggle. And you've got to figure out when to let feelings in when not to, when it's okay for someone you're managing to have big feelings, how to deal with that, and then what's gotten too much, because you as a manager are also a human. You are not an HR robot that can take everything and do everything and be accountable for everyone's feelings at all times. On the other hand, your your people you manage have feelings, and sometimes you're going to screw up, and they're going to feel some kind of way about that. Sometimes the company will do something they don't like, and you have to deal with that at the same time. And feelings management, um, in this day and age, especially for knowledge workers, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, is under talked about as maybe the central task of management. Now, from a business point of view, there's other things that could be financial and strategy. But when you're managing people, what you're really managing is their feelings. And this, I think, is an explicit discussion of what the limits of that are. Um, So I really recommend this. We've talked about, we haven't done a full company read of this, but we've strategically deployed it when people could really Mm -hmm. use it. And I I do refer it from time to time because I still find it useful. It's a great one. There's a copy that just sits on my desk for a, like, do I need to flip and find something in the seventh chapter of that book <laughs> for this thing today? Um, that's a really good one. We've, I think, you know, talked about Radical Candor by Kim Scott more than anything else, but that's a framework we've applied to the whole company. You could probably watch some videos and read some of her articles and take that approach into your own experience as a manager, but I wouldn't, I don't think you need the whole book unless your company is going to adopt like a full company wide framework 
framework. Um, since you're mm-hmm. a Patreon member, you have access to the episode we did a month or so ago that was the How to Be a Person Starter Pack. And we talked a lot about business and self-help you know, management kinds of books there. So I would say go listen to that whole thing because you'll find a bunch of recommendations there. Um, and I would also toss in Good Boss, Bad Boss uh, by Robert I. Sutton and The Leader You Want to Be by Amy Jensu. Maybe start with The Leader You Want to Be, which is about five principles that will help you, you know, bring your best self to work every day. Um, applicable for anyone who has leadership in their working life, which can be managers mm. or not, um, but really good for managers, I think especially new managers. Um, And while I'm talking about this, it's also bubbling up that there's a really great Harvard Business Review piece called Becoming the Boss. It's a pretty long read, but about uh, sort of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the surprises, the myths of what it is to become the manager, Mm. Um, to shift into understanding yourself in that new kind of role, to having other people understand you in that new kind of role, how it changes the way you have to think about your own work, how it will change the way other people see you and that's it's just a i think a pretty big shift that's hard to have someone else like prepare you for but the piece will guide you into how to think about that for yourself okay Okay. Uh, my read i guess um hi i would greatly appreciate a recommendation for my father-in-law I, I recently recommended The Guide by Peter Heller to him, and he really enjoyed it. He typically reads nonfiction, yeah, currently reading history on Andrew Jackson. But I like to give him some more fiction reads to enjoy while we go on family vacation. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, so there is nobody else like Peter Heller. We were just talking about this. <laughs> yeah, nobody else is doing quite the thing that he's doing, like outdoors adventure thriller. Yeah. Uh, or if somebody is, I would love an email about it because I would like to read 900 more of them. The closest I have is Descent by Tim Johnston, which came out a handful of years ago. And it's about a family mm. that are on vacation, I think in Colorado, somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. Um, they are, you know, just having a normal little vacation. But then their kids go out for an early morning run. Two kids go out for the run and only one child returns from the run and the rest of the book, like that's the inciting incident of the book. So I'm not spoiling anything. The rest is this family um, searching for the missing kid and like dealing with what might be going on out there in the mountains. Mm. I, I remember reading it in one day. It's like it has that creepy thriller vibe. It's well written, uh, so it's not like it's not the man versus nature kind of fiasco stuff you get um, with Peter Heller, but the closest that I had to it. Um, and just in the general, for a, a more general recommendation, since uh, father-in-law likes reading nonfiction, finding new nonfiction to read especially or new nonfiction to recommend to somebody if you don't know like more specific things about their areas of interest can be hard so i think maybe pick up best american essays from 2022 that one was edited by alexander chi who is wonderful has great taste and the collection is wonderful and i like to give those collections and to think of them for myself as ways to discover new writers in like low friction you know 20 page bites at a time and if he finds an essay there that he likes many of those writers have book length work he could go seek that out or it might introduce him to a topic that he wants to go read a whole book about but i think that's just a nice way in like 300 pages to be exposed to a couple dozen new writers and inevitably walk away with a few more that you'd like to read some more from 
What do you have? I kind of went um, outdoor adventure, not just in, not outdoors, but outdoors. Mm-hmm. If you heard what I'm saying. Yeah. And I had occasion to be thinking about Patrick Dewitt the other day, and the Sisters Brothers, his neo western that came out in 2011. Wow, that's been a long time. Oh gosh, um, is very readable. It's got wonderful characters, unbelievable dialogue, a surprising ending, alien. Eli and Charlie's sisters, even the playfulness of the book being called The Sisters Brothers, you can kind of see what's happening there. But it's not just farce, right? It's mm. somewhere between Cormac McCarthy and like Wes Anderson. It's a very specific vibe, and I love it. Uh, and I think it makes for, it has a genre quality to it, but kind of like Peter Heller, there's also stakes. It's also, yeah, there's something going on. And I would read a billion of these as well. Um, he's an Oregon writer really sharp guy and I, I was really this one really kind of blew me away when I first read I did I didn't know there you could do this it got made into a pretty good movie um, starring John C. O'Reilly and oh, Joaquin gosh, Phoenix I as well that. yeah and uh, it's really sharp um, unfortunately you cannot then not like Peter Heller where you go to the other Patrick DeWitts and it's the same vibe he's like he's kind of doing <laughs> the whitehead of like each one is quite a bit different but this one I've recommended a bunch and when I when I recommend it, it's it's gotten a very good hit rate of the people who've liked it. So that's the Sister Brothers by Patrick Dewitt. Okay, uh, next one from someone Mine. who yeah, they and their spouse are expecting their first child oh, okay, in May. I see what you're doing. Yeah, congratulations to them, and they're looking for a book that we'd recommend for any new parent to read. It can be any genre. I think that you should start um, here. <laughs> I've recommended this book. I think I've recommended this before. I recommend it to friends and families. Um, I've taken it to heart. I memorized the steps in it. It's called The Happiest Baby on the Block by Harvey Karp, MD. The new way to calm crying and help your new, newborn baby sleep longer. This is a how-to book about how to help your kid calm down and get sleep. It is, I don't remember exactly what I meant, but it's like five S's. You swaddle, you shush, you swing, you do something else and it's like it's like a technique as much as anything but the technique is like why does this work how can it help um it's a bit of a magic trick actually i pull out when i when i go see someone who has a new baby and i pull out Mm. my happiest baby on the block maneuvers and they calm down and i did a lot of the caregiving we both we both did a lot of caregiving but especially in the early days with my my son um i was the primary caregiver at home and i got good at this and you know, combined with some stuff we did about sleep tra- sleep training, I think it's really got, got us out of the stuff. He was having a horrible time sleeping up all night trying to get him to sleep. And our natural sort of stuff that we were doing wasn't working. And so I was looking for other stuff. And uh, probably on a, a a happiness per page investment, probably the highest ratio I, I've ever experienced <laughs> in terms, you know how, you know, the Afrin, you got a stuffy nose, you use Afrin, it works yep, right away. Yep. It's like magic. Like, this was the Afrin yeah. of child rearing to me. It's just <laughs> like, started working right away. for that nasal spray. There's no, yeah. in hindsight, there's no price I would have paid. Like, it's like, what price would have um, Lucasfilm paid for Grogu, the, the new baby? Right. Like, how much is that worth in terms of cultural currency? There's almost no price I would have. 10, uh, 5,000, 10,000. It's not absurd. <laughs> for how life-changing it was uh, for um, me. 
Helen Rosner at the New Yorker uh, just had her first baby earlier this oh, year, late she? last year, and she just wrote a great interview profile with that author of Harvey Carp. Like, oh, that I should do yeah, a check how did, that out. Yeah. yeah, how did you become like the baby whisperer? Um, which I, I follow yeah. her on Instagram, and I was like, I will read anything Helen Rosner wants to do. Yeah. Who cares if it's about babies? Um, I debated on whether or not to mention this one. But I think I'm going to just take the flyer and do it uh, since they're asking for books of any genre relevant to new parents. Like this may not be relevant to you at all as you're a listener. And I kind of I hope that it's not. Um, but folks of the millennial generation, if that's where you are, especially, you know, most of our parents were boomers. The mental health and therapy stuff was not so available. I think mm. a lot of folks our age and, and even our own parents had stuff uh, that came from families of origin, that came from parents. And it's nobody's fault. It's just like culture was different. People were not, you know, mm-hmm. taking apart their stuff. A couple of years back, a friend recommended to me, and now apparently everyone that I know has read this book, um, but Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents by Lindsay Gibbon. Mm. She's a psychologist, a Gibson. And it is like sort of just an explanation of the patterns of behavior that come up when a person is not emotionally mature and what that looks like to be replicated when those people become parents. So it's obviously written for like, you have grown up and realized that your parents didn't do everything perfectly. Mm. (laughs) And uh, I think it might be, when I was reading it, I had some moments of like, oh, wow, it's really interesting to see the kinds of things I would have done as a parent if I had not had access to therapy or to the kinds of tools that we have. Um, So if that sounds like it's at all relevant for you or you're like on the lookout for stuff you might not even be aware of that might potentially creep into the way that you raise a child, I think it might just be Mm. worth picking up. My best guess is that anybody in the world will pick that up and find something that they relate to from their own life because no parent is perfect and that's just being a person. Um, The title is so loaded and sounds kind of judgy (laughs) that I wish that she Mm -hmm. would come up with a different way of stating it. Like, you can't leave this one out on your coffee table when your parents are coming to meet the new baby. Um, But it really is rich and practical in a way that um, that might be relevant either to you or to anybody who is listening who's also thinking about those kinds of things. Um, so you can take that one or leave it. And it's a little bit spicy as a title, but I think very worthwhile um, for, <laughs> yeah. for your own thinking. <laughs> uh, okay, next read is right. mine. Hello, my mom and I have a two-person book club in which we take turns picking books. We love cozy mysteries that are also funny. We both love the Thursday Murder, Murder Club series by Richard Osman. This is a, this is one of those blind spots. I know this series sells extremely yep. well. I have no sense of it. I have no mental model of what this is like. Just putting that out there. Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Santano. And Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone by Benjamin Stevenson, which has been on my radar. That's a new release. It's a good title, by the way. Uh, we also like fun books with a strong sense of place. My mom lives in Philly, and we previously enjoyed your recommendation of 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas. I think that takes oh, yes. it off the board for us. If someone else sideways okay. recommends it, we cannot recommend it. Um, <laughs> luckily, I didn't need it, but I wouldn't have liked to have seen that if we had that rule in place. Any recommendations along these lines? A side note, I look forward to these episodes so much. Thanks for Oh, thank you for listening, Sam. Super Rebecca, fun. what do you have for Sam? Yeah, this is a spot where I don't do a whole lot of reading, but I'm going to pick up Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Yeah, I kind of did this. I, I see what yeah, you're doing here. I like these. That 
I've seen our contributors talk about it. I've had friends who have read this. They really loved it. This is the first book in a cozy series. So if you like it, she has other ones that you can pick up. But this one's about a young woman who moves home to recover from a breakup. Her life feels like it's following rom-com tropes. She gets tasked with saving her aunt's uh, failing restaurant. And Mm. she's got to deal with all of these like matchmaking aunties who are trying to hook her up with her next great love but then uh let's see jacket copy a notoriously nasty food critic who happens to be her ex-boyfriend drops dead moments after a confrontation with her so her life quickly swerves from a nora efron romp to an agatha christie case (laughs) sounds like a lot of fun um that's definitely on the cozy tip and then I guess, is it full circle if I recommend a title that you last recommended on one of these shows? I think I think that's when, you know, it's like the EGOT for a book. Uh, yeah, but erotic stories for Punjabi widows about a young woman in London who gets a job teaching a writing class uh, at like a Punjabi community center. And she thinks that she's just going to be like helping these older women learn how to like write letters. <laughs> But it turns mm-hmm. out they want to write spicy stories <laughs> and yes. watching her navigate that is wonderful. It's also like kind of stealthily feminist in its support for, you know, women exploring desire and fantasy, especially older women having access to that. And there is a mystery that runs through the book that that the uh, whole class kind of gets involved in solving mm-hmm. at one point. So the book is not a cozy mystery, but it's a cozy vibe and it has a mystery. I think it's close enough that I can feel good about recommending it here. Yeah. My pick is one we've talked about. You, you and I have both read this. I, I don't mm-hmm. have, I don't even know that I've read anything that would be considered a cozy mystery. So my my um, gyroscope is spinning on all, all over the place. <laughs> so what I read is there's a little murder, but somehow it's lighthearted and things turn out okay. Am I close, Rebecca? Could I land the plane I in the fog using so. those as my only instrumentation? Yeah. Um, so I'm picking the Pandit Queens by Perini Shroff, which we talked about. I read, Great and then pick. you read. Um, and it's said in India, there's a young Indian woman who gets accused of killing her husband. And it turns out that can be useful if everyone thinks you did, but they can't prove it because they will give you some space. Maybe some other women in your community that has occasion to not be super satisfied to put it extremely mildly with their domestic arrangement. And maybe you take those things into your own hands. And it's kind of one of these books I talked about in relation to like Lemons of Chemistry. It's both darker and lighter than you would think. And it's trying to do both at the same time. And I think it pulls it off. So mm-hmm. like the phrase cozy mystery, which feels like there's cognitive dissonance spilling out onto the floor, the Bandit Queens is fun. It, 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 it's, it's kind of a fun read about domestic abuse and retribution. I say that with all the caveats on the side. <laughs> Rebecca, am I wrong? It is. You're not wrong. It's like, okay. it's hard to pitch. Uh, when you yes. have to sum it up that way, but it is. I feel I feel pick. like I'm saying something bad just when I'm saying that, even though I feel like that's what <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah, it is. It's a good one. Uh, so those are mine. Uh, I'm up. Nope, you're up next. I'm up next. This one's from Liz. Uh, recently read Demon Copperhead and absolutely loved it. And has been chasing that reading feeling ever since. So Liz is looking for a book that scratches the same itch. Mm-hmm. 
not so much in the subject of the book, but more the style. Said the writing was amazing on a sentence level, and it also had lots of dark humor. Uh, she's seen Betty recommended online as a read-alike. I am unfamiliar with that one. Um, plans know. to check it out as well as some of Barbara Kingsolver's other books, but is looking for recommendations in that vein. Where are you going to go here? I haven't read Demon Copperhead, and it's yeah, been a long either. time since I read the Poisonwood Bible. So again, my instrumentation on King Solver in this particular book is not great. But in in reading a little bit about Demon Copperhead and what people like about it, it's literary, right? It's kind of strange, mm-hmm. a little off kilter, some dark humor. And we've been talking about Salman Rushdie because he had a new book out. He had the really unfortunate attack, and I've I've floated him as you know people sleep on Rushdie and maybe he's underrated and thinking Victory City is you know a return to form and a good place to jump in. By and um, the Satanic Verses is his best known work, but Midnight's Children is the one I would recommend. And it's not just me. This won the Booker of Bookers, which is they got a bunch of the Booker winners. In the, those books and then put them in a pile and had some people of all the Booker winners which is one is the winner and Midnight's Children was a winner of that so this is not some critical uh, I haven't pulled this out of the dustbin of history if you hear what I'm saying like this is a this right. is an old head literary nerd kind of a pick that feels like people don't talk about this book it's big it's it's long it has it's strange uh, the conceit is really kind of high tone. So the main character is born on the stroke of midnight, August 15th, 1947, the very moment of India's independence. And there's also a thousand other midnight children born at that same moment, and they all have magical gifts. So it's it's Rushdie doing the thing of mixing geopolitics with a speculative fiction vibe. There's deep history. There's deep references to... Indian culture and wider world culture. It has a, I don't know, exuberant Dickensian, you know, vibe to it. And it's meaty and you feel like you're really getting into something, but it has a real pleasure to it as well. That's, I don't know. That's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying. I don't know if I was looking for some place to put Midnight's Children, but I was trying to think of something, you know, King Solver lives on her best ones and the most popular ones live on paperback favorites forever. Upmarket paperback favorites. And that's what Rushdie is. This is literary fiction paperback favorites. It's a rare thing, but somehow King Solver and Rushdie have cracked it. So if you haven't read Midnight's Children, I'd really give it a shot. I've got to go back to that one. That was my first Rushdie, and mm. I read it like in my first semester, my freshman year of college, oh when I didn't God. realize, yeah, right, that's the correct response to oh that boy. sentence. I didn't realize that the unit of intro to fiction I had signed up for was like not necessarily intro to fiction, and it it was mm. like a, I think at the time they called it like multicultural fiction, <laughs> which yeah. hopefully they've come up with a better label for now. Yeah. But I I got no preparation for what was about to happen to me reading Midnight's Children, and I have been like I should probably go and re-experience that as an adult who knows what's happening on this page. Well, you know, no, sometimes um, it's not for you. I think that's not maybe the most ideal. It's, it's 674 I, yeah, pages. I mean, it's really is it dense. For any 18-year-old? I don't know. Um, I like to think I, will, I can hang, but at 18, I, I wasn't really 18. I, same. I, 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 don't, I, just, I don't know that that was a great, that was a great yeah. choice on that professor's part. Um, mm. I have not read Demon Copperhead. I, like, I struggled with this one, but this kind of just came to me. Maybe for, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely amazing on a sentence level and a certain kind of dark humor. 
I really loved the sentence by Louise Erdrich. I did too. Now, we have to caveat that it's sort of a COVID novel. There's some COVID stuff, like COVID begins uh, when the sentence is happening. But the book also came out at the end of 2021. So like the COVID story was still very much in progress as she was writing. But it's mostly about these people who work at a bookstore in Minneapolis, and it's maybe haunted. (laughs) And... (laughs) And, haunted house like, found family good banter maybe we should have picked this for up the, at the top maybe we should have yeah. it's maybe haunted the people in the book like how to talk about this without it sounding like stars hollow because it's not a cutesy quirky no situation no. it is a dark humor um Erdrich is Native American. Many of the characters are Native American. And so it also explores uh, Native American spirituality and the ways that that intersects in in ways that are both, you know, like serious and heartfelt and human and funny and weird with the, you know, like mainstream Midwestern white people culture that they live in. Uh, It also, because it's Minneapolis and the book is set in 2020, deals with uh, police brutality Mm. and the murder of George Floyd happens during during the story of the book the characters are out at protests it's like it's this is a serious piece of fiction is i think what yeah. i'm trying to say it's not goofy but there is a certain like dark humor or kind of dark like you can tell that louise erdrich is a little delighted by what she's doing uh-huh. is maybe the, the best way that i can say it i don't know if that's the feeling from demon copperhead but if it's anywhere close or this just sounds good to you if you've not read louise erdrich I think that might just be in your zone. So I'm going to toss that one out there. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I guess you're up. No, I'm up next. You're up. Yeah. I heard your call for recommendation request and that your light on submissions didn't turn out that way, as you can hear from us running long. But thank you. Two part request from my dad for Father's Day. Big reader. And I'd be grateful for any thoughts you have on books that align with his interest. The first is a comp for Patrick Radenkeefe. Oh, Patrick Radenkeefe. <laughs> Great question. Um, my dad was fascinated by the Empire of Pain, and we followed that up with Rogues during the holidays, which he also loved. He's interested in the story of Rogues in the sense of the book, but not, not necessarily the stereotypical dad book topics. With all the caveats about that tomb, thank you very much, Hannah. <laughs> dad book caveat. So we should call it from here on out. Second request is for short stories. My dad's gotten into short stories over the last few years and really enjoys working his way slowly through a collection or anthology. I would describe his taste here as very literary and not experimental or genre. I think he's open to any time period, though it's not a short story. I think you'd appreciate that he lo- the, Although it's not a short story, I think you'd appreciate knowing they love Lonesome Dove. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes to our five-part read-along of Lonesome Dove. Maybe I'll check that out um, there. Thanks again for all that you do. The Patreon and now First Edition continue. Oh, look at that First Edition shout-out. Continue to be the podcast I look most forward to every week. Well, if you didn't butter us up before with Patrick Ryan <laughs> Keefe and short stories and Father's Day, you've done it. I'm putty in your hands. I'll try to solidify here while Rebecca takes a shot at this. All right. The Patrick Radden Keefe mention made me really wonder, has your dad read David Gran? And the new one especially, somehow, by the way. Yeah. If somehow he hasn't, you get to ring the same bell of New Yorker writer, like diving deep into a subject. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I have not listened to the wager yet. Bob and I are on a road trip next week. We're going to do that. Um, but I think the devil in Sherlock Holmes is a really great comp yes. for the Patrick Radden Keefe collection because it also is an essay collection where each essay is about a different person. This one is all about That's obsessions. Right. Uh, so pretty close to rogues. A lot of these people are obsessed with things that they end up kind of like going rogue for and about uh, in the process of pursuing that object of their obsession really fascinating and you get to do a lot of like wow humans do stuff mm, uh, so do i'm things. gonna people do things i'm gonna go david gran for that request for short stories for a very literary reader but not super experimental or genre i'm gonna go to old standby interpreter of maladies yeah. by jumpa lahiri just a solid beautiful stands up to the test of time collection of short stories that first story is one of my favorite short stories ever mm-hmm. um the things they carried by tim o'brien kind of feels like a novel those short stories are so connected but about the vietnam war really beautiful if dad is into audiobooks at all there's a version of the things they carried narrated by brian cranston that's incredibly well done and very moving um and as i know you said not genre or experimental I don't know if George Saunders is too weird. I wouldn't do Liberation Day because half of those are real weird. But like 10th of December, very literary and a little weird. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like uh, exploring your dad's like adjacent possible in his reading life where he might develop. I just would be tempted to put some George Saunders in front of him for those. That's pretty good. Um, I don't I feel like this is now. Passé. I don't know. Has Bad Blood by John Kerry you been passed around so much? I don't know. Has it entered no. the place where it crested and we got all the stories and all the adaptations and the Theranos things, the jails all done? I think it's passé. But in terms of four years ago, this was 1,000% the pick. I'm less sure of it It's now. still the best thing to be produced yes. about that whole situation. That's a great point. I agree. Even with everything that came after. I guess mm-hmm. the difference is now you read this and you can then like fast forward to what happened, right? When this came out, we didn't know what was going to happen. That Theranos was going to still be yeah. around and Holmes and um, a sequel by Cariou, um would be interesting. Um, this is a little orthogonal, but it reminded me of this book. This is not exactly what you're looking for. I know this. I just know what I'm doing. I just want to tell you again. But there's a book called The Confidence Game. Um, by Maria Konnikova that's about con men mm. that's sort of they're rogues if anything but it also gets into psychology and behavioral psychology and their stories it's a little bit broader right it's like connecting it to the idea of of, of trust and being swindled so small time Ponzi schemes experimental data I thought this is really cool so this is maybe Maybe more. I don't know. Is this a traditional? This is the, this is the genre we have a hard time knowing what to call this because this okay. isn't a dad book. I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. pigeonhole it that, but it has this sort of like I'm interested in the world. I'm interested in a certain slice of it. I thought this was book was cool. This this book is really cool. It came out 2016. Very good on audio. Really like this. Um, and then for best American short story series, they, they're good. And the modern ones are especially are. inclusive. I would say as a gift, the best American short stories of the century came out a while ago, edited by John Updike, who hasn't been with us for a while, mm-hmm. so you know. But if he's just dipping his toe in, I don't know where he is on a short story journey. But if you want to, it's a great gift. You can get, I think you can probably find a big hardbound one used, or maybe they're still in print, or you can buy an earlier edition. Or It feels like a big gift, and you can you know read a chapter at a time, and it walks you through 
the whole century. So if he wants to do a little of like um, autodidactical literary education, story by story, this is not the worst thing in the world he could do. So either the and he could maybe maybe cut the whiteness of that collection in the long history of the the 20th century mm-hmm. short story with more modern, more inclusive um, collection. So get the last couple. You could do that. The last few years, they're all very good. That you know, there's something for everybody. And then maybe there's the canonical version, or or leave that aside. It's up to you. But if you haven't thought about those or know about those, he hasn't. I think that would be a really good gift. I wish you could subscribe to these. By the way, I think this was a half baked idea I had at one point. Yes. Yeah. Just give me the food yeah. writing. Give me the travel writing. The short stories. Whenever yep. they come out, show up on my door. Yep. I'll write you a check yes. on an ongoing basis. Secondary. I would happily do that. Like I just completely. I would they too. usually come out. I think in September, or October. I forgot about them last Maybe. year, and I just you don't, they don't get any so. publicity. They don't spend advertising yeah. on them. They just sort of come out unless you see them in the bookstore. I, I don't. Know. I miss them. I do, I just so. stumbled on them in a bookstore last month and picked up the food collection, uh, which yeah. is a new thing. They just started doing food writing. Yeah, in like you, those which are wonderful. I really like those. Yeah, they're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yes. Okay. Someone should make this a subscription. Absolutely. Not even right. half baked. Cool. That is a fully baked cookie. That's a, I feel like that might be a fully baked idea. Thank you so much for saying so. I wondered. I'd stuck the little meat thermometer in there because you baked yeah, me. I don't know what I'm doing. Keep That's me out who, of the McMillan? kitchen. That's who McMillan, McMillan does those. Come on. They can <sighs> yeah, make Yeah, I think so. They can, they can do this. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. This see. is my read. I can't read. remember where we are. All right. Yeah. It's my read. This is from uh, Michelle. Uh, who is a nurse in her early 30s. She says, in the prime age to have been a Twilight fan, but was not, uh, works with tweens and teens who regularly remind me of how old I am. Oh, she's given us some information about Twilight She's given us some, this some, this some, some uh, feedback. <laughs> yeah, so the kids are indeed into Twilight, and it's often requested for popcorn movies. We've been hearing this too. Like, you and I just missed yes. the Twilight Renaissance, but apparently when it went on to Netflix last year... Yeah. That was a huge thing, which makes sense to me. Um, Michelle's looking for a recommendation of climate fiction that isn't all doom, gloom, and catastrophe, or if we prefer a recent nonfiction title about nature and climate, uh, said, but not the one by Ed Young, still waiting for that to be on sale for less than $40. I don't know that one anyway, so we can Mm. carry on. What do you have here? Um, I read this a while ago. I... I think this is kind of a hard ask. I don't think where we are with most climate fiction right now is, you know, maybe it won't be so bad. <laughs> but Once There Were Wolves by Claire McGonaghy. I don't think I've ever heard the name said out loud. Do you have any sense of that, Rebecca, yourself? I think McGonaghy is right. Name? Yeah. We'll, we'll say it's pretty good. And with our apologies to the, the folks over there on the Emerald Isle. Um, this is a story of biologists studying wolves and... They're supposed to reintroduce gray wolves. So it's kind of reclamation, you know, getting wild species back, rewilding. So that's hopeful, right, that this can be done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, then something happens. And it turns into more, a little bit of a, it's like a literary thriller climate. And I don't want to tell you the ending that's all goes great or not, but it's not all doom and gloom. Is that enough, Rebecca? Is that enough to say yeah, that it's just not all doom so. and gloom and it has something to do with the sure. climate and the wilderness? <laughs> Moderately doomy. I, I, I struggled with this. <laughs> Doomish. <laughs> Doomish. Yeah. A new sitcom. Uh, yeah. This one, yeah, was tough for me too. I have not been reading a lot of climate fiction because that for me it's falls a bummer. Of, like living it is enough. I don't also yeah. need to read about it. Very tough the closest, stuff. The closest I could get is the new Eleanor Catton Burnham Wood, mm. which is not about the climate crisis, but the main characters are involved in a like pretty radical lefty 
climate activism situation. So the frame, the story can only exist in a world where the climate crisis kind of is what it is. Um, I'll let you do the Googling and determine if you want to spend like 500 pages or not with those characters. Um, But the nonfiction question here uh, did perk my ears up because friend of the pod and former book rioter Amanda Nelson mentioned to me last year when she read a book called Saving Us, A Climate Scientist's Mm. Case for Hope and Healing in a Divided World. It's by Catherine Hayhoe that it was the book about climate change she wanted to read because it was like there are things we can do. (laughs) It is not all doom and gloom. Um, I'm really fascinated by Catherine Hayhoe's biography here. She is a United Nations champion of the earth a climate scientist and evangelical Christian, which is a like set of three things you don't see that in a is lot of Venn diagrams. Something else, yeah. That is an yeah. unusual <laughs> word pairing, right? Uh, and this is her. There is still time. Uh, we can still do some things. Kind of a hopeful approach. Um, Amanda's a critical reader whose trust I really, uh, whose taste I really trust, and so I will pass that recommendation along for this one. Cool. My read, hi Jeff and Rebecca, at work listening to April 30th episode, and now I want a margarita. And now I do too. This is how it works. <laughs> I'm a mom and I've been enjoying short lit fic about 200 pages due to having toddlers two and four. I hear you. You've dropped the ball, if I dare say, on anything over 200 mm. pages, and that is just fine. Even it doesn't have oh, to yeah. be forever. What do you recommend? Rebecca, you're up first. Mm. This is a place where I'm just realizing that best American short stories might also stand you in good stead. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it you could. could. You could dip it could. in and out. Well, you're going to uh, hear what I did. Find... We both did this. Yeah. We both did this, sort of. But anyway, you go. Yeah, it's hard to find novellas, basically. Um, but The Buddha in the Attic and The Swimmers mm-hmm. by Juliet Suka are both short. They pack punches. So like you get to feel like you're doing something. These are not light books. They require something of you. Um, very different vibes that are both like very hard to sum up. So I'm not going to try to do the synopsis of those plots. Just take a look. Summing up a short story collection is hard as I'm about, you're about to hear me flail through in a moment because they're different. (laughs) Yeah. And these little novels are, they're weird. Atsuka does, she makes interesting choices about how she's going to tell these stories. It's not hard work. You know, you're not going to be like having to parse out what, the structure of the sentence means the form is not the experiment. Um, but they're just told in ways that a lot of literary fiction isn't. Um, really lovely and wonderful. I read The Buddha in the Attic in one day on the beach in Maui. If that gives you like, it's heavy subject matter, but you can read it on the beach in Maui. <laughs> I think you'll be fine uh, as you're picking it up uh, in between moments with your kids. Uh, ditto for the swimmers. Juliet Suka, or even, you know, um, I guess if you want to get existential, Weather by Jenny Awful or um, yeah. Department of Speculation. Those are both short yeah. as well, but will uh, make you ask some existential questions about the choices you've made in your life. So just take that <laughs> into consideration, I guess. Awful is the parent of a young child while she's writing, and those characters have young slobber kids frogging as well, her so. way through life. I, <laughs> yeah, God. I was thinking often. about slobber frog the other day too, and I was like, there is one other human on earth that I could mention slobber frog. <laughs> well, to. Jenny Awful, let's let's be careful. <laughs> okay, she right, probably two, remembers two, two, writing two. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, tell slobber me about frog yours. being when she was playing with her dog and her dog's toy, and just like yeah. It's this chewable frog, and it's covered in slobber as dog toys are, and just sort of mindlessly doing it just Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. My pick, hmm, I don't know how I thought of this. I don't know if I was thinking, 
but Drinking Coffee Elsewhere, the 2004 short story collection by ZZ Packer, which made a splash when it came out. I read this, I was 25, I was you know, just starting to pay attention to the wider publishing world and grad school and contemporary fiction. Much acclaimed debut short story collection. And to my knowledge, and I just did a quick little look around, ZZ Packer never published anything else. But mm-hmm. I remember reading this, and it's there's one particular short story about a group of black um, Girl Scouts, brownies, who get confronted or are confronted by a troop of white Girl Scouts. And I didn't know you could do what happens in that story. There's one about a million man march. There's kind of ranging all over the place. And often you see the trajectory of someone that writes a book like this that gets it's sold very well. It got acclaim, well reviewed. The next book would have been the launching point. You know, you do your short stories, and the next one's your novel. This you, this is a time immemorial. This is how these things go. And we never got anything else. I, I don't know what's happened. To, wow. Did she become a journalist? I, I really don't know the biography at all. So I'll be doing some Googling afterwards. But this is one where it's short stories, but it really packs a punch. And I don't know um, if the, the listener heard me talk about The English Understand Wool by Helen DeWitt, which is where I got oh, yeah. cool points at Powell's for this little gem of an 89-page whatever that really packed a punch. So maybe you can get that in during afternoon nap. Probably a four-year-old isn't still napping. But maybe maybe during Bluey on Saturday morning, you could race there through 89 pages um, of this. So Drinking Coffee Elsewhere by ZZ Packer, and then The English Understand Wool by Helen DeWitt. Okay. My Next read. one. Uh, is it? Mine? No, it's mine, because you just... No, it's yours. God, I never, why, I'm, the, I'm the worst <laughs> at this. Terrible. We should label these. We've been doing this for 10 years. Someday we're going to label them. Yeah, this is part of this. Especially when we get long in the tooth, I'm starting to, you know. Yeah. The, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm don't starting have, to loosen up. Yeah, so I don't have explicit permission for this person's name, and it's sure. a sensitive topic, so we ah, won't say their fair. name. But um, recently broke up with a boyfriend of five and a half years. I don't think we're mm. going to repeat reasons here, but says they um, miss him like crazy, feel like it might have been a mistake, so I'm trying to sort out all these feelings. I would love a book to help frame these feelings for me or help me see them in a new light, open to mm. fiction or nonfiction, but I lean more to the literary than commercial side of things. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Um, I hate that you thought heartbreak. this one that's in your notes. I, it took <laughs> so me longer. I don't know why I was staring at this. Why didn't you think of this and why didn't I think of this? I don't know. It's a great question. Uh, it, I, I don't know. It's weird because I, here's why. Because Heartbreak by Florence Williams, which we both love. We did a podcast interview with her. We've talked about it. We've recommended it. It's one of the great audiobook experiences I've had where she uses the experience of her own breaking up of her own long-term relationship to feel that, walk us through that's memoir, but also an exploration of the science and psychology of heartbreak. I, I don't know that this is going to make you feel any better. I think it could make yeah. you feel better. I don't know. I, it's not a how-to, but Maybe. I don't think it's also, I think it's ultimately affirming um, in its own way. Yes. So that's what I would say suggestion. about it. Um, it's more literary than commercial when it comes to nonfiction, but it's it's generally applicable. Uh, gird your tissues I should say where you are you sound like you're a walking wound and I am in fairly ensconced in a pretty stable relationship and have been for Mm -hmm. some time and even I was uh, not unmoved by by what happens in heartbreak it's very it's very moving I think I latched on to the ambivalence in this question that I don't know if I made the right choice how do I understand and reframe this and I should say I'm in the same 
situation, been with the same fella for a jillion years. Um, but it feels to me like in the last five years, everyone I know has gone through a breakup or a divorce. So I've got some 35 tangential... to 40, Rebecca, I'm, I'm sorry yeah. to tell you. Got some experience watching people navigate this moment and looking at the resources that have been useful for them. And one that came up repeatedly uh, with folks in my life, which the book has been out since 1997 and like they've been they just keep making new editions of it. Uh, It's called Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay. It's a step by step guide to help you decide whether to stay in or get out of your relationship. It's by Mira Kirschenbaum. She's a psychotherapist. I don't know how updated it is for how we Mm. think about relationships in 2023 versus 1997. I think there were probably some significant differences in culture then and now. Um, But the book continues to, you know, be widely recommended. I know people personally who found it to be very helpful. Um, So if you are looking for like a straight up kind of let's make your pros and cons lists and really ask some pointed questions of yourself um, about this relationship, I think that might be a a resource to look for. Um, It also made me think about, we should ring a bell now because I'm going to talk about 4,000 Weeks by Oliver There you go. It's taken. I mean, this is pretty good. We've gone a while. Yeah, which is, you know, 4,000 weeks is the average lifespan that a human gets. Uh, Do not be fooled by the subtitle of time management for mortals. It is not about like how to organize your days, but it's about how to think about your life. And, you know, that we the reality that we have limited time. And he does a really nice job talking about functionally the opportunity cost of how we spend our time that like every week or every month or every year that you spend doing something that's like good enough is a week or month Mm -hmm. or a year that you are not spending doing the thing that is the best for you. Um, And that framework I think could be incredibly useful evaluating this relationship. Um, and was it good enough to stay and make it the thing for your life? Or is it time to think about the fact that your time is finite and maybe we want something better for you? I don't know. I think Oliver Berkman might help you get there in how you think about it. Um, I've also had several friends who love the Just Breakup podcast. It's co-hosted by Sarah Kay, who's a poet, which is just a fascinating intersection of yeah. like, kinds of media to make. Um, she has a, I don't remember her co-host's name, but they talk about their relationships, the breakups they have been through. It's very open and vulnerable. And they also take listener questions. I think there's like a years long backlist of that. So uh, you could probably skip through those episodes uh, looking for the ones that seem like they would most resonate. But I've heard that that's been an incredibly useful resource for some folks too. So wanted to mention that one here. You listen to this podcast, you probably are open to others. So there you go. Yeah, good good luck to you. I hope, I hope yes. things start to look up for you. I, I bet they will, but I hope they do. Um, I'm going to read the next one because you'll see why in a second. Um, Jeff and Rebecca, I'm looking for cookbook recommendations for my mom. Currently, her favorite internet recipe person is Natasha from Salt, of Salt and Lavender, who focuses on delicious comfort food using everyday ingredients. Sounds okay to me. I was excited to learn mm-hmm. that Natasha had a cookbook being released this spring and was planning on sending my mom a copy, but that seems to have gone away. Do you have any recommendations? Delicious comfort food would be the preferred vibe. I don't mess with cookbooks, so I'm going to cede the floor <laughs> to you. In fact, I'll tell you a quick anecdote. I just listened to L.A. Sun, which is Roy Choi's memoir slash cookbook, oh, but yeah. the audiobook doesn't include the recipes, and you have to do the downloadable PAF, and I was delighted. I was like, I don't need the recipes. 
Don't give them to me. I skipped over all the recipes in Butterfield Graffiti, graffiti in the Rick Braggs. I don't need the recipes. Just give me the, give me the words. That's me. Rebecca, I'll cede the floor to you. <laughs> all right. I am delighted to report to you that Ina Garten, the Barefoot Contessa herself, has a cookbook called Modern Comfort Food. It is excellent. That sounds like it's on the nose. That's pretty good. <laughs> It is. It is on the nose. It's excellent. Uh, And I think mostly it uses everyday ingredients. You know, Ina Garten gets kind of teased on the internet for like recommending specialty ingredients or like very high end (laughs) items. Um, But you don't have to have the high end version of any of those ingredients to make really good, simple comfort food. And I don't know, I, I love a cookbook. I have a million of them. It's a cliche to love Ina Garten, but it's a cliche for a reason. And my experience with her classics, like the uh, the roast chicken that I make is legendary among the people that I love. And it's a riff on Ina Garten. Um, she's just solid. It's a great place to start for comfort food. Um, I also cool. really love Bryant Terry's cookbook, Black Food, which is about soul food and black cooking traditions. But the intersection of soul food and comfort food, delicious using everyday ingredients is almost a solid circle. That Venn diagram is very complete. Um, it's mm. a wonderful cookbook and just you know also has wonderful writing if your mom likes to read her cookbooks um, or if you think that she might the writing there about black american food traditions is also really terrific so those are my two to get her started okay i'll read the next one too since i don't know where we are uh looking for rex for my incredible friend who just graduated with her phd in russian literature congratulations she's taking the next three months off from reading anything with war political instability or redemption through suffering Okay, understandable. (laughs) If she had her way, she'd read Emily Henry and Taylor Jenkins read on repeat for three months. Amazing, but what else can I offer Mm -hmm. during her literature rumspringa? I like this idea, literature (laughs) rumspringa. I want to steal this for a Patreon episode. Before she returns to sad academic tests as she begins to teach full-time in the fall. Happy but smart books would be ideal. Rebecca, you're... Literary Rumspringa is just deeply excellent. Um, yes. I'm going to go with We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry, mm. which remains probably the most fun I've had reading in the last five years. Um, set in the 80s about a girls field hockey team near Salem, Massachusetts, who are having a losing season and they make a deal with the devil to get themselves a winning season. They make this deal with the devil by writing their names in a notebook that has Emilio Estevez on the cover. Uh, it yeah. is packed with 80s pop culture. It's told in a collective, like a plural first person that sort of moves between the different girls. It's just really funny and really weird. It's smart. Uh, you just, If your friend is willing to hang for something that is going to, you, you start it and you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> but mm-hmm. she pulls it off really, really well. It's just a great time and I haven't read anything quite like it. Um, it has a like rumspring of feeling to me. Just a super fun book where you can almost tell that Quanberry writing it was like and then we're going to throw this in and then this is going to happen it's just <laughs> you know like let's see what happens when we do this like one girl has big teased bangs and the bangs get to talk in the book which sounds weird but is also perfect um i don't want to say any more about it and spoil it it's wonderful um i also think last year's uh, lessons in chemistry by bonnie garmus is a good contender here um literary funny quirky has some depth to it um this you know trigger warning for stuff about sexual assault um but just is a is a fun hang 
and also is substantial. Like if you're looking for something that will give her some stuff that's a little has a little more meat on the bone than the Emily Henry and Taylor Jenkins read stuff. Um, I think those are both fun places to go. I would have, sidebar, I would have bet and lost, apparently, a substantial amount of money that you would have gone crazy rich Asians here because oh, there's a series and... and I just am didn't I wrong? think about it. Didn't think no, of it. No, that's okay. perfect. All right. It's great. Okay, yes. good. Also give her crazy just, rich Asians. Yeah, and I think maybe it comes up late. I don't remember. I was looking at it recently. It's in the next um, question. You're right. Yeah. Well, there it is. Yeah, and I had <laughs> read through these as I was putting these in. I was like, oh, Rebecca's going to do Crazy Rich Asians. Not that you had to. I just didn't know if I, I was got. It's a uh, good pick. Screwed up. Screwed up about that. Um, I'm doing Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. It's not as light also as like one. Emily Henry or Taylor Jenkins Reed, but I'm kind of thinking you're riveted by the side of the pool and you want to do nothing but sit there and finish it. It's kind of what I'm thinking from my mm-hmm. literature, literary run springer. And this is set in Philadelphia. It's contemporary. Uh, Kylie Reed's debut novel, not a joke. I know we're talking about Taylor Jenkins Reed. I shouldn't joke about debut novels. People get confused. I've heard from them. Um, I know it's not. I know that uh, I know that it wasn't her debut novel, by the way. Um, anyway, uh, and a black woman is hired as a nanny for a wealthy white family. And there is an inciting incident that, let's say unleashes the fraught dynamics of that kind of a relationship in American culture. It has one of the great mid, it's like part one, part two. You don't get this in books very often, but there's a cliffhanger like in the middle of the book. And if you're coming up and you'll know when you get there to this particular dinner scene, please have your next 90 minutes clear. You don't want to be waiting (laughs) through this. It's one of the few times where I remember a specific scene and feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, of that kind, um, and I've recommended this before in a lot of good ones, my, my my beloved partner, Michelle, she has developed a taste for the commercial romantic comedy, I guess is what we're calling these. Some people want to say they're just romances, but not all romances are the same, but a contemporary romantic comedy, it's light. And she likes ones where the people have interesting jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think her favorite one so far has been The Love Hypothesis by Ali Hazelwood, and they're scientists. So you get some scientists, and you get some... You can, and you get some um, uh, romance and banter and fun and, and lightness. Book. We talked about romantic comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld recently. I think that would be a good fit too. Mm. So yeah. throw that in there. Um, I don't, I'm not going to out Rebecca about her recent Emily Henry reading experience, but let me just say that <laughs> you don't have as it much data well. to, pr- to provide <laughs> on what the Emily Henry vibe is like. I really tried. Emily and Henry you and did. I are not made for each other. That's fine. That's fine. All right. Since my read, um, this person has recently encountered some stressful life events, living with some significant anxiety and looking for escapish reading to distract from life's craziness, um, but is encountering a challenge. The many dozens of unread books at home are all very heavy and dark and emotionally taxing because that is historically this person's wheelhouse. Man, I feel you. When COVID started and I was like, crap, Mm -hmm. I cannot read these things anymore. It was just me and the letters of E.B. White for like a year and a half. It's called Drop the Balzac. That's what the move is here. There it is. Um, So, you know, from a listener who's always turned away from lighter, cozy books, they're looking for recommendations for fun, light, cozy novels that have some level of character development, or at least are so fun that I don't care about character development, which I think is a great way to think about the choice you're making here. That's right. (laughs) Um, Open to nonfiction as well, as long as it's a propelling read. You have some great picks here, so I'm glad you're starting. Yeah, so no mention of genre here, but it sounds like you're outside of your wheelhouse anyway, so maybe you don't even know what you want you don't even know you're trying something 
That's fine. You're looking for a different yeah. vibe for a different time. So the first pick I have is one of the more enveloping books I've read. It's a comfort listen for my beloved partner. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of airtime, Michelle, today. She's not sitting yeah. here. I don't know why I looked back over my shoulder. Um, <laughs> because also this is a visual medium, as, as we all know. But it's a rich magic. It's a set in the world of the night circus is this traveling circus that depends on magic to exist. There's dueling magicians who enter into a bet that, and they each take on a protege, and they're fighting out through proxy, like which of them, by training their proxies, which one of them is the greatest magician, uh, excuse me, magician. There's a love story. It's quite beautiful. I don't, this is, we don't think of cult classics for something that sells mm. this well, but it has a, it has an element of it of people who like, there are Cirque du Rev, which is, you know, this is the, the French name, the Cirque du Rev. Like fa- they they have meetups and they get dressed up in this ornate kind of rococo steampunky vibe stuff. It's a, Jim Dale who is the narrator who also narrated the the Engl- the um one of the versions of Harry Potter. I think of the superior one. Unbelievable narration. So if you don't even want to pick up a book because you're stressed out, <laughs> put these in your ear holes and let it rip. The other yeah. way I would go is what about some enveloping science fiction? And I got two ideas here. One is more lighthearted. A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers, the first in the Way series, uh, Way, Wayfarers, I think Wayfarers, I'm not looking at the, the Google page for it. But these, you know, it's space, exploration, found family, it's fun, things generally go well, there's a long series you can get lost in. If you're looking for a little more straight ahead sci-fi of a huge, this is going to be, talk about things that are coming two years too late. Whenever we get this Amazon yeah. adaptation for a billion dollars <laughs> or the three body problem it'll feel Mm. like the roman empire having gladiatorial combat like a thousand years after the fall of rome but Mm. season lu the master best-selling writer a chinese writer of science fiction it's huge enveloping spanning it's like lose your life in it kind of stuff and that's maybe what i'm suggesting try lose your life in some stuff for a little while that's right yeah bob just read that and really loved it said it was he did did we talk about this he He liked it i'm so glad to hear that yeah yeah he listened to it is ships in space not ships on water so i can see why (laughs) he likes that he Just loved it. Ships. It was like right up his alley. It's um, very good. Those are great picks. Uh, this person gave us a PS that they've read Crazy Rich Asians, and that's their only point of reference ah. for what reading a fun book like this might be like. Um, I hadn't looked at these two questions next to each other, but now that I'm looking at them, you, listener, for <laughs> this question can them. also... Yeah. yeah, you can also read the things we just recommended for the person before you. I would say pick up We Ride Upon Sticks and Lessons in Chemistry and Such a Fun Age and The Love Hypothesis. Um, The closest thing I've read to Crazy Rich Asians, which I should say Crazy Rich Asians does live for me in that category of books that finding a really good read alike is near impossible. Mm. It's just a very singular kind of perfect reading experience. Mm. Um, But I came kind of close last year with The Fortunes of Jaded Women by Carolyn Wynn about three generations of women in a Vietnamese American family that believe that they have been cursed for like 10 generations and that the curse is that they will have bad husbands. Uh, So they're doing all kinds of stuff. They're having feuds with each other. One of the moms is like going to a fortune teller. Another one is going to a shop where she believes that they're giving her material to like cast spells. Um, There are like older women who just have an all out battle, like throwing their purses at each other in a dim sum shop. And it's just like, it's a great time, really fun, good writing. You'll have a good time with that. Um, 
I was going to recommend Helen Ellis's short story collections because those are just funny. They're, it's, they're Southern. She has a great, like, you can hear the Southern drawl almost in how the stories are written. Mm. Um, and then I had a note here that says, maybe do some rom-coms. So I'm glad that Michelle had recommended to you the love hypothesis <laughs> above. I was thinking any of Jasmine Guillory's books would be a good place to start. She's a really wonderful option for romances, but that have that like rom-com movie kind of feel to them. So hopefully this will give you some escapey stuff. And I just like on a meta point would say this is tough when you're a person who usually reads like pretty serious stuff and you find yourself in a moment where you can't. So just like on the off chance that it helps, Mm. the letters of E.B. White really did get me through (laughs) the early parts of 2020. Like he had left New York in the 40s and moved to a small like a farm in coastal Maine and is writing about, you know, going to tend to the cow every morning and his little dachshund that comes with him, uh, like writing affectionate letters to his wife while he's traveling. It was just the gentlest. It was the only thing I could tolerate. Uh, You can buy like several different collections of them just you know look up some eb white letters and essays yep okay we're gonna we're gonna just quickly mention the next one please send recommendations for college graduation thank you see above the one about moving out of 25 we don't have anything additional to say about that one uh moving on the next read is mine i'll just do both of them back to back here like to ask for a recommendation for myself this summer i'm a middle school teacher who is tired i hear you i have a middle schooler right now i don't know how it's possible. I don't know what kind of pharmaceutical substance you guys use to get through the day, but I would authorize it all if I could. Uh, but be careful out there. Anyway, I've been reading life and fun romances and kids sci-fi lately, but wanted to read something beautifully written. I've done Gilead, Atwood, and Olive Morrison. Wow, wow, wow. Mm. And the usual classics. Anything fun or interesting would be welcome. A sidebar about Twilight are still being devoured in her experience by eighth grade girls and is currently the most stolen book in your classroom. Okay. Hunger Games, not so much. Potter gets abandoned regularly. Not the voracious huh. reading of the past. Fascinating to see. One data point, but interesting nonetheless. And this is, uh, and Sarah says, thank you. And we're welcome to use your first name. And that's good because I just did. Rebecca, you're up. All right. Okay. I'm just thinking of this now. I think I didn't put it in my notes because you had talked about Colson Whitehead earlier in the yeah. show. But we have to be careful. Fun, we got we, we we have to be yeah. careful. But yes, I'll allow. But for fun and interesting, great on the sentence level, and also just a good time. Kind of hard to beat what Colson Whitehead is doing. Look yeah. at the synopses online and pick the one that you want to start with, and just no. know that every book is a different vibe with a, almost a totally different genre. But they're all excellent you cannot go wrong just pick a place and start um ditto for ishiguru not like a super fun time but if you're doing gilead and you can do atwood and like lord you can do tony morrison you can do ishiguru clara and the sun might be a good one to start with there i think anything by louise erdrick like i was just like where are we going to go on the sentence level that's going to get you in that same zone Uh, and i think I feel good about Whitehead Ishiguru. Oh, and Matrix by Lauren Groff. Just, Mm. I'm continuing to think about how blown away I was by that book, and it's been almost two years. I'll probably still be talking about Matrix when her new one comes out later this year. So, none of these are like fun reads, but I I had a good time. She didn't ask for fun, Rebecca. She did not. She said, she said anything or fun interesting. or interesting. That's right. They're or, all interesting or. and It's a coordinating edifying. conjunction. Or. You, they are enjoyable, if not fun. Well, mine's not fun. My first <laughs> Sing Unburied Sing by Jesmyn Ward is not fun. But um, great. It is a 
It's great. The second of her back-to-back, in terms of having her books come out back-to-back, National Book Award winners. Mm-hmm. The third in sort of a trilogy, they're not necessarily related, but they're set in the same time and place in similar vibes. The Bois Sauvage trilogy, which is wonderful. Um, this is the second one. You could do Men We Reap, the first one. I don't know actually why I'm leaning towards Sing and Berry Sing, but I say things and I pick things and I'm going with my gut here a little bit. There's a family, a black family in Mississippi. The father is being released from prison and they got packed into the car and drive up there. There's a, through the heart of Mississippi to the, the prison. And it's part road trip, part family, genre, um, generational family drama, part little bit of ghost story, not to spoil it yeah. too much. And what, what I'm leaning into here is the sentence. And if you haven't, maybe you've tried Ward. I don't know. But if you like more, if you've done all of Morrison and you haven't done any Ward, it's time. Mm, it's a One, great two, point. three. The third one's coming out in the fall. And you said the usual classics. And that got me thinking of unusual classics, which is a, which is a bit of a contradiction <laughs> in terms. But fun and interesting. I feel like Edith Wharton is underrated for contemporary readers. House of Mirth is fun. She's a wonderful writer sharply drawn you could read through them all they're all great if you haven't picked up edith wharton it's they're fun there's like a little they're like jane austen of a of a different time i think a little bit sharper even i think the dialogue because it's even more modern it's closest to us it feels more relatable and contemporary but for some reason i decided to get on the edith wharton train right now and edith wharton baby ever heard of her let's go love it not too late and our last question uh, is from Austin, uh, just moved to Appalachia from a pre- pretty liberal city uh, and wants to come to better terms with the racist past and identity of Appalachia and learn how to be a progressive and thoughtful person in that environment. So looking for a book that appreciates Appalachia for what it is, feels close to nature, but the key ingredient should be wrestling with the past of that region and its identity. Mm. Um Good news for you. We have three lists for this at Book Riot because we have a couple of contributors uh, who yes. are specialists in Appalachian literature. And so we will drop the links to all three of those for you there. And you can go to town. It's a great question. That is the it, end. We, we did, did it all in one shot. I didn't, you know what no. I didn't do? <laughs> Sponsor breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we got like natural breaks in between questions. Yeah, Maybe we it do. Won't that be that won't bad. be as hard as sometimes. I was too worried about getting the Rex right. Um, I wasn't. I forgot we were podcasting. I thought we were just talking about a Google Doc yeah. that people sent us stuff for. You know, it happens. If you yeah. read any of the ones we picked, if you recommend them and you have success, right. if you know about books about badass fifty-year-old and older women doing interesting mm. things while aging, please heists. send them to us. Heists. Yes, heists. Yeah. Yes, always the heists. Podcast at bookriot.com. In the meantime, I'm going to go look for a producer for Ocean's 80. <laughs> that's Jane Fonda's. Grace and Frankie is over. Tomlin and Fonda are available. Yeah, they're doing stuff. They've done like three they're movies doing... together in the last year. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know what? Life goals. That's all I've got to say. One hundo. Um, bookriot.com slash listen. You can find the show notes to this episode. That'll be important if you want to see the titles. Also, check out First Edition. Rebecca and I doing the It Books of May. We also did the It Books of April. There was an episode on Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. You can hear Erica's story about trying to buy a new mom. And then if you go ahead and subscribe, wherever you get your podcast, on May 17th, you'll be one of the first to get this really wonderful, I don't know if I did great, I think he was just great, um, interview I did um, in conversation, really, with Coletta Saini about 
the kite runner. I'm, I'm trying to kick around the name. Bookography is the segment I'm thinking, like a biography of a book, a bookography. It's not great. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. But that's kind of the way to think about it. It's about the phenomenon and his experience and what, what went into the kite runner. Why was it a phenomenon? There's some good nuggets I was telling, regaling Rebecca with ahead of time. Um, check it out there. And I think that's it, Rebecca. Well done. And we'll see you for recommendations Ooh, you in the fall. 